Hello and welcome to episode 196 of The Crate and Crowbar. It is the 6th of July, 2017. My name is Chris Thurston and tonight I'm joined by Tom Francis. Hello. And John Roberts. Hello. Hello, John. Hello, Tom. I'm speaking to you tonight from a whiskey-soaked chair <laughs> due to a pod setup catastrophe that involved hiding a glass of whiskey <laughs> on my chair. This is was... the Swedish method, I think. Spill it on some hot carpet yeah. <laughs> in the vapours. Mm. Yeah. So uh, luckily it's it's so hot that, that, yeah, the whiskey will just evaporate uh, into the into the air and um, and join the, the rest of the whiskey in the room. But it's a nice a nice setup. If you if you are disturbed at any point during this podcast by dogs, lawn mowers, that one seagull that's only just now uh, shut up, uh, a pip walking past uh, any of these things, that's because we have the doors and the windows open because it's another sweltery old podcast afternoon, <laughs> evening, night. Anyhow. Podcast nights. Podcast nights. You know, originally hot that podcast was... Podcast nights. Hot podcast nights. That was one of the working titles for this podcast <laughs> way it? back when. Because <laughs> it started off as the joke of PC Gamer Nights, which would be the PC Gamer podcast, but we got drunk. <laughs> and so... <laughs> there you go, a little factoid. So in the news today, uh, there's two bits of news. There's a new Overwatch man whose name is Doom Fist. He looks quite punchy and fun. He looks punchy and fun. They've done a trailer and revealed his abilities and actions. So this is the guy that's been rumoured for a long time because his fist is in a big glass case in the reveal trailer for the game from years and years and huh. years and years ago, and he's mentioned. And so given how much that community loves speculating about upcoming updates and things... uh it's been rumoured for a very long time and then appropriately enough kind of just leaked like a couple of weeks ago because one of the text files in the latest public test update was just called like doomfest update dot text <laughs> and that kind of gave the game away a little bit but uh yeah so that's that's a thing the only thing that stood out to me about it is that the the trailer they did for it uh i liked it quite a lot more than most other of watch trailers and videos and things yeah it had class it's quite classy, I thought. <laughs> um, nicely animated, with a voiceover, but not dialogue, which is the right way around. Yeah, had angry gorilla noises mm. and so on. But would yeah, that pretty... would you qualify that as, as dialogue? Because I don't think I would. Pre-dialogue, yeah. <laughs> Fight help grunts. So he's a melee guy. The gorilla is melee, right? Yes. Mm. No, he has a lightning gun. Things. Oh yeah, he does. But it's really short range. And Doomfist has a shotgun, I think. He has a, no, his, his other hand right. has gun knuckles. <laughs> and it is called hand cannon. Right. Okay. So he, he put, the, uh, what's his like unique setting point? Uh, he can do, he can knock people up into the air and pull oh. them towards him when he does that. Mm. Cause. Yeah, you'll like the twist on this because it's another character who punches the ground so hard that oh, shockwaves go out. But in a novel twist, the shockwaves pull people towards him rather than out. Okay. So, so my, my issue with that uh, class of abilities is um, there are a lot of games where you can punch the ground so hard that it damages all the people around you. And I take issue with the concept that that would be more damaging than just directly punching those people. Um, and in fact, if you could hit the ground so hard that that would cause, you know, 10 damage to everyone, then punching them directly should cause at least 1,000 damage. <laughs> That's my feel of the maths of that. 
he yeah it, it implies that when he punches the ground he gains some mass that makes like gives him a gravitational pull that's able to pull other the people fall towards him rather than towards the ground. See, that makes sense. <laughs> well, by punching the ground, he steals its gravity <laughs> yeah. of planet Earth. That's just physics. <laughs> exactly. That's just, just playground bullying, really. <laughs> Sounds like quite a fun character to play. I think all his, um, all the abilities except for the ult are quite low cooldown. And every time he deals damage with them, he gets like um, a temporary shield. Hmm. So you wade in and cause as much trouble as possible and try and just keep punching people. And that's sounds like a fun way to play. I suppose that's interesting because the only other primarily melee offense character is Genji, hmm. unless I'm forgetting somebody, specifically in the offense category. And Genji's very much like a hit and run character who doesn't stick around and like, doesn't yeah. really want to be in a fight for any length of time. I'm not sure if Doomfist will be more of a skirmisher or a line breaker or kind of an off tank. Don't know. Mm, but he's in the offense category. I mean, so he's, he's yeah. he joins Genji, but it was a sort of punching people in the face to get his shield back mm. mechanism, which is neat. I don't know, like I don't really play Overwatch anymore, so no. it's sort of it's quite <laughs> an abstract kind of thing. I wonder what kinds of hats you'll get. Several. Uh, I mean, I imagine you know. I don't do this anymore, but I I can I can imagine the scramble that's underway right now to be the first with the all of Doomfist's hats gallery because <laughs> that that shit's gonna fly. Do they actually have hats in Overwatch? Uh, they or have skins. Is, yeah, uh, yeah. So using hats as a as shorthand for oh, any content. <laughs> they have poses and intros and voice lines and emotes yeah, and yeah. things, which are all different did, forms of hat. I've also stopped playing, but I was. Um, almost tempted back by diva's um rockabilly skin mm. which is like a um and the max like a cadillac yeah yeah that's pretty good it's also going to be interesting what position he falls in the ship universe mm. they pair him <laughs> off with his role in the big overwatch family unit well i saw a tweet from um, um pc gamer league of legends contributor Cass marshall uh pointing out and i believe that she's not making this up that actually he is now being shipped with reaper in a i would have guessed that in a in a, a ship that is internally known as fister <laughs> um, just from the name that, that they sound like a good pair because like i was kind of surprised by the name at first thinking like oh Overwatch doesn't usually go in for these sort of like macho things and oh no reaper <laughs> yeah I think they've they've done a good job of playing up to how out of place Reaper looks in that game because I think he's one of the earliest <laughs> yeah. characters to get designed, and he's I think he's one of the people who got brought over from Titan, like mm. the game that was Tracer's another one. Like there's a few of that and Farah, I think were all either like enemies or classes in uh, Titan, and then were just sort of given specific identities. Um, but I think now they're kind of playing to the fact that Reaper does look like he's come from a different worst game <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or like a soul reaver with guns game which would be mm. something uh, like his like when they did the anniversary event and they all got dance emotes except reaper who refuses <laughs> he just stands there tapping his foot um, which is uh you know that that's good blizzard still do good stuff along those lines um and this yeah and this trailer because this trailer's done more of a like an anime style rather than the cgi stuff they've done in the past was genuinely made those characters look a lot cooler than they do in the sort of mm. pixar chasing blizzardy thing that they normally do when i stopped playing i had 990 currency and there's a diva skin i wanted to buy for a thousand and if you get a dupe you get like is it five or something? You get some percentage yeah, of its value a tiny amount of value but I, th I think it was 
What are the, I think I might have had 995 because I remember I just needed one dupe. Like I just needed anything I already have. So it would give me a tiny bit of currency or some currency would be great, but that was never dropping. And uh, I just kept finding new stuff. <laughs> like I feel like anyone else would be pleased to be getting new stuff and annoyed when they get duped. So I was like desperate, just give me something I don't want <laughs> so that I can have something I actually do want. And uh, it just got to a completely absurd point. And then just as I was like, um, I think I'd already lost patience with it and I was thinking about going back to it. And then... Um, the summer games thing happened and all the drops were unique <laughs> like, well i don't have any of those so i have no chance of finding anything that will get me any money they um i got a, a loot chest in plunk bag uh today because it it that, it's got the worst the worst loot system and it's so bad i almost admire it because <laughs> it's almost like it feels like somebody implementing a cosmetic like a hat system who hates the concept and doesn't want to do it but it's been told they have to do it. And it's like, fine, then I'm making the worst one. This will, you know, the, not, not in the sense that it will make you feel punished for engaging with it, but in the sense that it sort of exposes through absurdity how, how stupid and pointless this stuff can be. Uh, cause I cracked open my first chest of the week because the chest cost an escalating amount of currency. So you get a certain amount for participating. Like if you die immediately, you'll get like 36 currency. If you win a whole game, you'll get over a thousand. Um, and the first chest you buy each week costs 700. The second one is 1400 and then escalating, it doubles from there. Um, so if you might, if you play a lot, you make it like three chests in a week, mm. but they just keep getting more and more expensive, but they, what they drop doesn't get any better. It's just, it gets harder <laughs> to buy them after the first one, which is stupid. And the stuff you get is just anything from it's kind of like cosmetic clothing items, loot table. Uh, but today I cracked open my first one of the week because it reset back down to 700 and I got a duplicate dirty grey tank top. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the first duplicate item I'd received and it's only because I, I I got a duplicate that I discovered that it has a breaking things down back into currency. And so I broke down that shitty shirt for five currency <laughs> that I can then put towards my next $1,400 uh, loot chest. It's terrible. It's amazing how bad it is. Is it the case where... It's. It might be a disadvantage to get really cool custom clothes and stuff. I don't know. Do you get like day glow pink vests or anything that would actually make you a bigger target? I think there's there's something to be said in in in, in plunk bag for having neutral coloured clothes, mm. but it's it's not going to make a huge difference. Like it probably prevent them from ever doing wildly silly cosmetics because you will just draw yeah. an arrow on yourself. But I remember playing. I think it was Rainbow Six Vegas multiplayer where the top tier skins were just luminous yellow and pink. It's like, I'm so good, I can do this while <laughs> broadcasting my position. Literally Rainbow Six. Just like... <laughs> we should say for any new listeners, this is Player Unknown Battlegrounds. Oh yeah, that's a good point. You know, Plunk Bag. You don't know the abbreviation. <laughs> Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. Still just astonishing how popular that game that, yeah, is. Did that, have, Steam right now. did that have like an underground build-up? Because it Not just really. suddenly appeared as far as I was the, concerned. The mod he made did. Right. I can't remember what it is called, but there's a long lineage of them. And he like, apparently I was saying to Alex, um, like, uh, you know, is his name really a big deal? And he was saying, oh yeah, there's a huge mm. history of this, um, of the, the, uh, <laughs> the things whose names I can't remember <laughs> at all. Didn't he make, um, was it just like literally called Battle Royale or something uh, as a mod? Yeah, in armor, I think. Right. Right. Yeah. I think so. there's, there's a big armor Battle Royale mod community, but that wouldn't account for the popularity of this. I think he's the ice frog of Battle Royale mm. games, basically. Yeah. To understand it. 
apart from his faulty attempt to remain anonymous. Like he went for the whole player <laughs> unknown thing. But it just turns out he's a, he's a nice man. So yeah, but yeah. The other bit of news this week is that Rebellion are making Evil Genius 2. Mm. Hmm. They are the people who make Sniper Elite. Yeah, and quite um, a lot of things. Rebellion do quite a bit, I think. Yeah, they've been around a long time. Um, uh, they're British, right? Yes. Yeah. Based um, in Cambridge, question mark? No, not Cambridge. No, that's Frontier. I'm thinking mm. about Frontier. I feel like they used to be here in Bath. I might be wrong, but... Um, uh, well, presumably just, they're somewhere. <laughs> the thing I wanted to ask is, Sniper Elite, is that the one where you guys were talking about it not that long ago? Yes, that's the testicle popping. Okay, so that's fun. not... Sniper Ghost Warrior? No, that's Ooh. made by <laughs> CI Games. And the one that was, the recent one that was pretty good was... Sniper Elite. Right. Uh, there was a, there Sniper was a new... Four? Yes, there was a new Sniper Ghost Warrior recently, but uh, I haven't played it. Yeah. Looked okay. Um, but no, the Sniper Elite is the World War Two one where the, the little balls go pop. <laughs> <laughs> the little balls go pop. <laughs> um, Sounded pretty good. Sniper Ghost Warrior is the one where all three of the playstyles are in the title of the game. <laughs> okay um so yeah so evil genius if you're not aware is was a dungeon keeper like mm. evil base management game but with a sort of 60s spy caper theme and Wait. was it bullfrog or is it Lionhead? or no, no it was another company <laughs> was it demis the service was someone who left bullfrog right if it wasn't bullfrog might be. I feel like it was it was people who worked on who worked at Bullfrog <laughs> in whatever form. I don't I know remember who. Three designers and one artist who worked on it, but I don't know oh. what company they were at. What they did. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm I'm really quite excited by the prospect of going back to um, Evil Genius because the aesthetic was fantastic. The kind of groovy spy sixties um, Austin Powers kind of stuff, uh, and setting traps for super agents and laying your evil plans and stuff was fantastic and the incidental animations were great and had a really nice sense of character but it was a ball ache to play <laughs> it was just really tough and unforgiving yeah and um so i'm quite looking forward to a version of that which is maybe slightly tweaked for modern audience a little more forgiving a little better at teaching you how to play it that kind of thing mm. sorry i was distracted by all of the people going past on bikes, wearing, wearing every single kind of uh, every single kind of distraction today. There were two dogs chasing each other. I didn't tell you guys because you'd want to see. Um, only I can see them. <laughs> That's good as well. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited about it as well because I played loads of Evil Genius, but I don't really. It was so long ago that I don't really like mm. have strong feelings about it really. But maybe as soon as heroes enter your base, you just snipe them from a thousand yards away <laughs> and destroy their testicles. <laughs> I mean that would that would supplant the that would, or at least um, clash with the James Bond theme somewhat. Like James <laughs> Bond entered a base and someone shot him in the balls from really far away. <laughs> this is that, that would happen in a James Bond video game. Yeah, <laughs> this is video game rules. Like I'm not going to slowly explain my plan to you. <laughs> I'm going to shoot you from really far away <laughs> and not explain anything. <laughs> but why? Christ, <laughs> is he pleased to death? I mean, Casino Royale, there's, there's feature scene in which James Bond gets pointedly hit in the balls over and over again. Oh, yeah, like a rope thing. Right? Yeah. 
in a special chair. Oh, no. <laughs> they, they just they rip the bottom out of a wicker chair so they can more easily hit him in the testicles. It's not going to be a dark and gritty reboot. Is oh, it? Evil <laughs> oh, like, like, yeah, instead of James Bond, it's basically Jason Bourne. <laughs> <laughs> your job is to manage, like, actually, that's a really good idea. Like, stab him in the chest with a magazine. You have to, your job is to, like, just be a sort of trustworthy looking British character actor who maintains a sort of international network of banks somehow on and dodgy foreign interests and big yachts dispatching assassins on vespers yeah yeah and then halfway through you have uh you get to have a sit down chat in in, in cordial circumstances with the hero okay i'm back have, on board yeah i'm on board where you have a chance to uh try and sway them to your side that's really difficult that's a good idea <laughs> i'd play that until the true scope of your mania is revealed and then something bombs i don't know I'd watch that. I'd play that. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's good. And um, it's it's an interesting that it's come around after so much time. Yeah. Like no one has... was clamoring for this. Yeah. It... Apparently they've had the license for a long time. Um, I know someone made a Facebook game of it. Right. Which hmm. was just poor. I'm not sure that was actually Rebellion. Because there was... Um, I watched the video where they announced this and it was just a huge kind of update video about their company and then right at the end they say and we're doing evil genius do and yeah he said something about we've had this this property for a long time and we're excited to finally be doing something with it mm. kind of surprised that it's not called evil genius i'm not going to advocate for the era of not giving <laughs> sequels numbers but yeah it feels like yeah pretty sure he did say evil genius 2 i think it's good keep with the numbers <laughs> or like i don't I, i'm perfectly on board with like giving them subtitles and stuff but um, the thing where you just name it the exact same thing is fucking infuriating. <laughs> like, uh, um, you know, Prey. Is, there's already a Prey, and it's, and it's recent enough that it's on Steam, so there's just two games called Prey on Steam now. <laughs> there's just no distinction at all. Someone did make a good point in that the game about mimics cloning themselves. Yeah. <laughs> the fact they sit next to each other and are, I think, are identical. I think it was someone at Arcane who tweeted that, actually. <laughs> like, this is why we did it, so you didn't know which one is a mimic. <laughs> best example of that is dmc devil may cry which isn't technically called devil may cry except its name is its acronym and then the subtitle is it's is what the acronym stands for so but and both of those things are the same name as the name of the game that it isn't a reboot of <laughs> i assume that's why there was so much hostility for it Literally if that was the that. reason then i could get behind some of it i guess <laughs> great but we live in the world of the Xbox One X, so like sometimes maybe it's okay to just go back to an original name that was fine, rather than kept keep rather than trying to spell out that name in different ways within your ever extending name of your thing. So, yeah. Did Sid Meier's Pirates? Did that just have the same name both times? Did they both have exclamation marks? <laughs> that had been a hell of a way to do a sequel. They took the exclamation mark off. <laughs> We're not excited this time. It's all right. It's the gritty reboot. <laughs> I wondered if maybe the, I was going to say maybe the early one didn't have his name on it, but actually I think he did that right from the start. I think, I think even the first civilization was Sid Meier's civilization. It wasn't Sid Meier's civilization. Like, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do more question mark sequels. Yeah. Or not. I mean, it's not a good idea. Yeah, so that's, yeah. Did they say release date or anything or any no, progress it's... or anything like that? Was it just art? No info at all. No, even no art. Yeah, it's just... Um... There was a box art thing. Oh, really? There was some art, yeah. Oh, fair enough. It was like a picture of the evil genius man. If they can get the original... <laughs> the evil genius. I think yes. the majority of the concept art and character design and stuff was done by one guy before. Oh, wow. So if they can get that guy back, 
Uh, that'd be fantastic. Um, if only we knew who he was or what company he worked for. <laughs> <laughs> I have a choice of four people to ask, but I can't do it right now. <laughs> we could have also looked it up, but that's for cowards. <laughs> what have you been playing, John? Oh, well, it's the Steam sale. So yes, it was. I've been playing lots of stuff. I can talk about Tyranny or Zombie Night Terror. Tyranny is a good segue from Evil Genius. Not that that's important, yeah. but we might as well go for it. Yeah. Like games where you're a baddie. Yeah. Tyranny is the other new role-playing game made by Obsidian. Um, <laughs> it's definitely like the the other brother version. It's obviously had a reduced um, development time. You mean compared to Pillars? Compared to Pillars. Right. Yeah. Um, I was trying to think of a good analogy for this. And Pillars is uh, your massive fantasy work, your Tolkien that's... Uh, rewarding and takes you ages to plow through and tyranny feels like the kind of fantasy that you just um, devour in a weekend on holiday. It's just really easy reading, except I can't actually think of a, a good author for that. <laughs> but yeah. Like a, like a comforting David Gemmell book. Exactly. Right. Um, yeah, in tyranny, its big hook is that evil one, um, the vast uh, evil overlord, uh, one 200 years ago and now the remains of her armies are just mopping up the rest of civilization and it's a long time apparently yeah <laughs> the, the latter half of a 4x game <laughs> yeah the really boring part of a 4x well, game it's, a, it's an oddly specific kind of evil um like aside from the front line where all the the murdering and killing and subjugation is going on uh actually within the empire it's largely about permits and paperwork <laughs> um but you play um, kind of a voice, a harbinger of uh, this great evil, and it's up to you to su- subjugate the last lands, um, kind of how you choose, and um, gain in personal power a little, uh, and generally sort of adventure around. It's it feels like well the the you are evil um, game like this and Temple of Elemental Evil is the only example I can really think of. Um, they always feel like dungeon master created ideas. It's like they're the kind of people who think it'll be great. We'll have an evil campaign, and ev- all the party will be evil, and you can do evil things. And then I think it hits the market, and everyone else kind of feels they don't want to be evil because that generally translates as just being a dick all the time. Are you still doing like quests for people and things yeah, like that? Some of are. just evil quests. Is it like they ask you to do something and then you just do the opposite? <laughs> or just kill them outright. It is quite refreshing to do that in a few places. <laughs> There's They've obviously had a, some fun with um, character design and stuff. Like occasionally you'll have wiped out a town's guards and just come in and lay the law down. And some of the civilians will be really uppity and just generally annoying. And so it's perfectly acceptable to just kill them right there. <laughs> and that's quite fun just to do for absolutely no repercussions. It's like, this is what the big bad guy would do. Um, But you generally have a choice between kind of chaos and law in the way you execute your stuff. And chaos generally just feels like being an asshole. Like, the lawful guys are kind of honourable, or you could just choose to flay everyone you meet. It's, It's a bit odd, but fun. And yeah, there's dungeons and adventuring and stuff. It does feel um, quite wide rather than deep. It's definitely missing a final chapter and it has a very abrupt ending. Hmm. But 
to make up for that, you get a lot of um, choices. In fact, the first five minutes of the game is um, largely all kind of text-based, but you um, navigate the course of uh, a large expansion across the the final unclaimed uh, continent, and you have a lot of choices in exactly how you conquer these vast areas and whether you like raise cities to the ground and stuff like that, and that sets up the um, game world for later adventuring in. Oh, cool! And it does change it quite a lot. Like, there's whole areas you just won't go to, or you'll visit towns and they'll either be destroyed or pristine and mm. um, guarded, inhabited by different groups of people, and so on. Uh, which is quite fun. Seems like that premise requires like the writing to be really good, down to like companions and things like that. Like, how does it hold up? It's good. Okay, <laughs> it's not fantastic mm. um, compared to um, Torment, mm. uh, for example. It's nothing even close. I think Torment's probably my favourite of this batch. Yeah, same. Um, but it's um, functional and reasonable characters kind of compelling enough for you to click through their dialogue trees and stuff like that mm. but nothing to get particularly excited about um it's got uh the classic kind of pillars combat um which you probably know whether you like or not by now that um start stop real time with pause kind of tactical stuff i really like the magic system actually um which is moving away from I think it's called Vancey and Magic, where you have um, pre-designed spells that fit into slots. And um, in Tyranny, it's kind of core and node-based. So um, as you discover them, you'll have um, a big list of cores, like um, a Force core or a Fire core or a Heal core, uh, which you start with, and then you apply... Um, I can't think of the word they use, but basically a delivery method. Like this can be a touch oh, okay. uh, spell, or it can be a range spell, or a cone spell, or stuff like that. And it's like ordering an ice cream van. <laughs> <laughs> a waffle these, cone, please. <laughs> these change... Fire waffle that's cone. A spoken, that's a spoken cone spell. <laughs> so these change exactly what your spell does like quite a lot. Like um, if you have stone, the touch stone spell um, petrifies your target. Uh, if you put range on it it's like um shards of stone if you put okay. like the orb effect on it it's like the big rolling boulder that comes along and knocks down everyone and then you get a final level of um tweaks which affects um like damage and range and um, additional stuff like whether it affects people in a line and where if it bounces and if it turbochoses your spell casting after that and all these different effects have different um, law costs, and law is how difficult this spell is to cast. So is L A W or L O R E? L O R E. That's okay. like your general <laughs> spell casting stat. So people who are incredibly lawy <laughs> can add um, like a bunch of different mutators to spells uh, and tweak them to exactly what you want, which is generally quite good fun. Mm. Unless you cool. customize to exactly how your party fights. It sounds something somewhere between like um, uh, Elder Scrolls used to let you customize spells mm. and sort of create spells pretty much from scratch. But that was very, it was systemic. Um, and I don't think uh, a lot of sort of specific work had to go into the individual combinations. It was like if you did fire and then you, you could choose whether it was on touch or on target or on self. And uh, that was just, you know, uh, 
who got the damage and yeah. yeah if it was ranged it would be a ball of stuff that that emitted from you but i don't think a lot of like um sounds like this is uh each sort of form of the spell must have taken a whole bunch of custom work and art to yeah. make it work that way there's definitely like a they definitely wrote a uh, pre-written list of um like the main categories of spell like petrify or rolling boulder or stuff like that but because you're basically in this cookery menu you get that feeling of exploration which is mm. quite fun and um yeah it's really great to tweak stuff to how your party fights like um i had um a really strong front line on my party which meant that a lot of fights degenerated into a line of my party and a line of the other party so like line-based area of effect spells i could put on my wizard and they would be really effective rather than other parties would do well for like auras or like big fireballs and stuff like that hmm. yeah it was great awesome sounds rad hmm. what was the other game was it the zombie, uh, zombie night terror yeah um which i think needs a shout out because um i don't think i've seen many places talking about it um it seems odd that it's taken so long for someone to look at um a screen full of lemmings and say this looks like zombies <laughs> really hmm yeah and um maybe they did but they didn't get any further because they thought i don't care about zombies like <laughs> yeah, i want the zombies true. to die <laughs> um yeah in this game you are controlling a zombie horde as it makes its way across um, a bunch of really nicely designed levels in glorious pixel art. Um, does it pass the Robert's seal of approval? It, it does, pixel because art? it's... Um, I don't have a better word for this, and this is massively self-aggrandizing, but it's gunpoint style. <laughs> in Excellent. which, um, like, the the proportions of humans and so on are relatively normal. So, mm. like, on in your pixel art, like... Um, a character's head will be like six pixels mm. and they'll have and they won't have huge anime eyes and stuff like that um, which is quite a lot of lemmings as well yeah exactly i mean obviously lemmings weren't like humans but they they had those kind of smaller proportions mm. would um flashback be a good reference point for that they were very realistic proportions yeah they had quite high resolution characters oh, yeah. relative Bigger to that sprites. um stuff like sword and sorcery um I can't think of much else. Pixel games with the little man, except the little man is approximately real human proportions. Yes. <laughs> like so gunpoint. the men's are quite small on screen and it's uh, like most of the real estate is environments and stuff. Um, yeah, it's great and nicely designed. You have your main way of interacting with your horde is you can mutate them into... Um, a few specialized classes and but you also have um one-off skills like uh sprint or jump or explode uh <laughs> but you can also combo those with the mutations so um you have overlord mutations which are the kind of um blocker lemmings which reverse the flow mm. of your horde um crawlers um which are better in combat because they got big claws but can go up walls and tanks um, which much like the Left 4 Dead tank, um, they're just huge walls of meat, uh, which are great for um, dealing with lots of dangerous humans because uh, hmm. there are like zombie survivors in the game um, who are annoyingly cool and good at combat <laughs> and will just lay waste to your horde if you don't um, approach them in the right way um, as you're going through your levels. Yeah. So is it a matter of like binary success and failure or is it like how much of the horde you get through is your success for the level? Like 
Yeah, there's generally like a binary success um, condition. Um, often it's kill like a percentage of the humans left on this level or just get a zombie to the end of the level so your um, horde can keep spreading. Uh, the main challenge in the game comes from optional challenges on top of these, mm. um, like explore every aspect of this level or get every personal call uh, or manage to take down some of the, the boss humans which are uh, walking around in some levels. Um, and the levels are all really nicely designed um, for the most part. Um, like Lemmings, there's a lot. Or now and again, you get a level that can only really be solved by um, trial and error. Um, you have to try things and then fail and try again. But I guess it's a puzzle game. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's some uh, really cool... They've had a lot of fun with level design. There's um, uh, lots of locations. And um, because your horde moves quite slowly and uh, a lot of the map is on the screen at the same time, um, they animate um, the NPCs. Uh, moving around and kind of talking and you have like these little scripted events that happen hmm. as your horde slowly chugs their way through uh, and sometimes um, because they have this kind of uh, b-movie aesthetic over the whole top of it it lets them um, borrow um, from any kind of fiction they really want um, so at some point while you're assaulting um, a police station uh, the terminator just shows up uh, as in the movie Terminator. As in the movie Terminator, uh, named appropriately the Zombinator. Right. Um, but this huge um, fella just teleports in um, and starts killing all the policemen in the level while your zombies are like parading across the roof. <laughs> and um, you really want to stay the hell away from him if possible because he will just um, take out your entire horde if they accidentally stumble into view. But then you like the optional objective in that is like a timing challenge to try and kill him if you can um and there's yeah it's really good fun actually awesome that uh, sounds sounds great so that's zombie night terror just zombie night terror worth reiterating yeah. partly because there are so many zombie games on steam <laughs> yeah that like i because i think someone had mentioned this and it just sounded like a great idea yeah I but think... i forgot what it was called and therefore it's impossible to find <laughs> like yeah zombie game yeah it yeah, it got bounced around a bit because it has really very nice animation. Um, a lot of character goes into those tiny pixel people. Um, and it's got a great score as well. Um, kind of ambient, synthy stuff. But then it builds up into, um, I don't know what the name for it is, like retro synth wave kind of disco stuff. Oh, rad. Man, uh, I really want to play this now. Yeah, it's great. I think it's like um, 10 quid normally on Steam. I picked it up in sales for £2, so maybe pop up on your wish lists and uh, Damn. wait for it to come around again. Is the sale over? Yes. I think so. Ended yeah. yesterday. Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, by a, uh, a tiny dev team, which I think is only two people. Um, so they've done a fantastic job, and more people should play it. Yeah, wow. That sounds, mm. I, gen I genuinely want to play that now. Mm. Sounds great. We can keep this theme going because we're going from evil genius to tyranny to that, all of which are evil mm. things. Um, and I've been playing more of the Diablo 3 Necromancer. Speaking spec, of zombies, yeah. Where, yeah, you're not so much evil in that because technically all the Diablo heroes are on the same side <laughs> and they're all trying to fight the demons of hell, but you do certainly raise the dead. <laughs> 
I played like 40 minutes of it when I talked about it last week. Um, and now I am level 63. <laughs> so oh, wow. I have, uh, burned through, um, uh, I'm on act four of the campaigns. I actually haven't finished the game, which is, uh, very out of whack, I think, with how my first playthrough of Diablo 3 went. I played it at launch, um, probably before launch since I was reviewing it. Um, and I don't think I was 60 by the time I finished the game. Um, They've they've made it quite a lot faster, I think. Yeah, and just started to get through it in general. And um, uh, for me, initially, way too easy. And I can't tell how much of this is the necromancer being great and how much of it is the game balance having changed. But I had to just keep upping the difficulty again and again until it... Because um, I just couldn't die if I tried um, on the lower difficulties. And so I upped it to Master. I think the next one up is Torment, and I think there's levels of Torment. But um, I stuck on Master. Because around that time, the game itself also started to get hard. Um, you know, like when I first put it on Master, it was still too easy. But then I just got a bit further in the game and started to encounter... Like when elites, elite enemies start having like the chains and the, the swirly pink radar <laughs> death thing. Arcane um, orbs yes. and fire chains. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, uh, the, the sort of the super high damage um, modifiers. Um and my build has evolved. I actually found a ring really early on. I didn't think much of it at the time. It was um it was a legendary. I've been finding loads of those. Um uh, I think I might have got it from the Skeleton King, in fact. And um it one of its effects is that when you summon a, a skeletal mage, you get two of them. Um and skeletal mage is you have like seven skeletons that follow you around, you can have a golem that follows you around as well, um, and you can choose what type that is. Um and those just persist, and if they die, they get, they automatically resurrect um, after a delay. And Skeletal Mage is just temporary, so whatever type it is, you can ch- change it with different runes. Um, it just lasts for, I think it's like 12 seconds or something, and then it goes away again. And so some of them are just uh, follow you around and you know fire things at enemies. So one of them, if you put like a poison rune in it, then it will actually stay exactly where you put it and just hurt things in a radius around it. Mm. And then there's one that I didn't think much of at the time called the Singularity, um, <laughs> which takes up all of your essence, just drains your mana to zero. Um, and however much you spent, it gets a certain amount of damage per point. So it's like, I don't know, four DPS per essence point spent or something like that. And your essence is like 300 or something. Um, and so and it just creates one. Uh, all the others create two. And um, unless you have this ring that creates two <laughs> so if i create two skeletal mages i get four if i use them all on the singularity i get two of the ultra powerful mages and he, like i tried it and it was powerful but i didn't really think much of it uh, everything was powerful at that point it was mm. early on and i was destroying everything and then someone mentioned it to me on twitter uh, uh, more recently said oh have you tried that singularity thing because i find it just destroys bosses um and i thought hmm, i should go back to that because i do have two of them <laughs> <laughs> and uh the reason i didn't stick with it the first time was despite being powerful it drained all of my essence so in every other thing that used essence like this doesn't generate over time you have to generate it by doing attacks with your bone spikes or whatever your your essence generating skill is and um that takes time and you need enemies to do it um and while you're doing that you're not casting your cool spells so it seemed like too big a cost and but when i sort of paid attention to like oh shit this thing really does just demolish everything (laughs) um but, you know, it itself costs essence. So after it expires, after it's 12 seconds or whatever, now you've got no essence. You can't do that again. And um, you're kind of out of luck. So I just geared my entire build around that. So we talked before about, like, all the spells that use corpses for things, like Corpse Explosion. And mm-hmm. there's one called Corpse Lance, which um, 
makes a corpse just stab someone, which is <laughs> um, good. Uh, those um, don't take any essence because they cost a corpse instead. Um, and then there's a bone spirit one, which I already quite liked, which just has its own charges. It just generates like up to three charges. And when you spend one, um, it's depleted, but they just generate over time. Um, and so if I use that and I have a corpse lance and I use a golem who doesn't cost any essence, um, and then, uh, the bone mage or the skeletal mage, and I can't remember what my other skill is. Um, I'll teleport. Um, and, uh, all these things, uh, don't cost any essence. So I only have one thing that costs essence and it's the, uh, skeletal mage. And, uh, that was awesome. But it was kind of like, save up the special, save up the skeletal mages for special occasions because once your essence is gone, it's going to take you like several fights to, to build it all back right. up again because you've got to keep using these slow bone spikes. Um, and then I finally got to the point where, um, uh, all of my leveling up, every time I unlock something, is always just like, does it get me more essence or, um, does it in any way help with this, this one problem? And eventually I've got a rune for the, blood siphon skill which is one of your it's a essence generating skill but it also leeches health and because it leeches health it's not as good at draining essence uh at generating essence as like the basic bone spikes which i was using um uh but you can unlock a room for it which once it's finished giving you health i.e once you're at full health it starts to generate more essence and the amount of essence it generates is actually way more than uh, I get from my normal bone spikes. And that's just like complete my build now. Because in I can summon my bone mages, skeletal mages, uh, my two singularities. <laughs> and then uh, while they're Duality. killing things, uh, yeah, dualities, um, <laughs> they, uh, they're doing so much damage that it almost doesn't matter what's attacking me because <laughs> it's about to die. <laughs> like, by the time something's walked over to me and started doing something, it's, it's about to be killed by my skeletal mages. And so I can just stand there with the blood siphon and just leech off something. It doesn't really matter what it is. I just, I just need something to regenerate my essence. And because it also generates health, uh, if I do get hit while I'm doing that, if something starts to take serious damage, um, then I'm healing, healing myself as well. Um, and, uh, so I just focus on like, getting enough essence and then often I now have enough essence to summon skeletal mages again before my old ones have expired and it's actually not like a golem where there's only one of them you can summon more because they're time limited so you can just have as many as you have mana for um, so on like a boss I can just have like two sets of them so now I've got four of them and I've just unlocked simulacrum which is the last skill um, and it seems weird it costs a quarter of your health and it creates a copy of yourself um, and they will Cop, they will cast uh, any of your secondary skills that you cast. So like Bone Spear is a secondary skill. Um, and as it happens, Skeletal Mage is a secondary skill. <laughs> and so I get two of them from the ring. Uh, the Simulacrum will copy me and also cast two of them. <laughs> so we get four. <laughs> and there's a room for Simulacrum that I haven't got yet, but uh, like a few levels away, um, I can get a rune that while he exists... Uh, or she exists because I'm a lady, so I guess she's a lady. <laughs> um, uh, I get double essence. So the singularity or dualities that I cast would be twice as powerful because I'm spending twice as much essence and so is my simulacrum. So we'd have four of them at double power. <laughs> <laughs> Octularity. <laughs> yeah. Which is I assume you just get a pop-up now which says, congratulations, you now work at Blizzard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there is, I mean, for sure, this feels like a path that has been laid for me. As I'm leveling up, I'm seeing this as like, oh, you, you, you're you thinking about the person who has this ring. <laughs> um, you called this singularity on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
but it's it's been so cool to do that and then also there's a really nice um uh subtle thing going on with the skills as you unlock them um that uh where they start to cost blood <laughs> like most of them cost essence but then uh you get a rune for a skill like sort of the third of five runes um will be something that's like now it does a bit more damage but it costs you a small fraction of your health and almost all of them if you like the skill it seems like a total no-brainer to go for this because the amount of health it costs you is tiny and regeneration is just huge i don't know if this is a necromancer thing or if diablo 3's balance has changed since i first played it but like your health just goes up and up it's just um i'm making like uh it tells you the numbers when it heals you and it's like 1500 per second <laughs> it's like holy shit um so you think nothing of it um but then uh some of the later ones start to have a more significant health cost and it keeps kind of tempting you to spend more and more health and change more and more of your skills from just essence to a little bit of health as well and you start to kill yourself <laughs> and uh like corpse explosion the, the last rune for it is it's already a horrific thing all of the corpse related things are pretty horrific um but the last one actually made me like yelp in horror when i first tried it because <laughs> it's what it says in the description is now the corpses will um uh be will seek towards enemies before exploding and i didn't think anything of like what that would look like but when i cast it on a bunch of corpses they turn into fucking flesh spiders <laughs> like they just sprout spindly legs and then just sprint to the nearest things so you just create like a swarm of disgusting exploding you're flesh a spiders. good guy <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, but I, I will defeat diablo he'll he's going down maybe something worse is taking his place but um and yeah that costs blood and not a lot of blood but um you know hit points um but the the main the whole selling point of all these corpse skills is they don't cost any essence and so when once you know that and you see a big bunch of corpses you just fucking hammer that key you just spam it because it's that's the best thing about it is you get that critical mass moment of like there are enough corpses i can just kill every fucking thing with these things <laughs> time for spiders and now yeah you do that with the spiders and you realize like shit i'm nearly dead <laughs> and I, I just thought that was a really nice way of like mimicking what uh, you can imagine is the narrative arc of uh, you know dark sorcery of getting more onto black magic where they you can get more and more powerful but it's also costing you more you're becoming like mm. uh, you're actually risking yourself doing it Right, I still don't really need to play it. I I installed it as I was editing the last episode, and Diablo crashed so dramatically it it axed all my progress editing the episode. Didn't hmm. I obviously do anything to the episode itself, but that made me a bit wary of it. I think yeah, it's <laughs> such a weird thing to happen with a Blizzard game, which I associate with yeah I, such perfect, robust polish. I have had trouble alt tabbing with it. Um, mm. I don't know if this again. I don't know if it's since Necromancer or just because I haven't played in ages. But yeah, if I alt tab, it will come up like direct X warnings and stuff. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think it was alt tabbing that caused it to crash for me actually, because I think I was alt tabbing back in because I was mm. editing and playing at the same time. It also disconnects you if you alt tab away for too long, anyway. <laughs> um, I also played a bit of West of Loathing, which hmm. is forthcoming game from the Kingdom of Loathing guys. Um, we had Zach on the podcast. We did. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, he is one of them <laughs> just in case that sounded like a non-secretor um and kingdom of loathing was a browser-based uh sort of mmo um with stick characters and very funny dialogue west of loathing is still stick characters and funny dialogue it's set in the same universe but, but west um and it's the wild west uh version but it's not uh an mmo it's a single player adventure um from a side-on perspective uh that kind of scrolls through um 
what I guess are technically 3D environments, although they are still drawn in like literally two colors <laughs> by hand. Um, and uh, it's uh, it's kind of like very light RPG combat. You kind of you go around talking to people and, and doing quests for them. Um, but the writing is really good. Um, I am carrying around the briefcase of snakes I inherited from my grandma <laughs> because I'm the snake class i've forgotten what the class is called there's bean slingers cow punchers and the snake class and i chose the snake class and then immediately erased its name from my memory um but uh i basically have a briefcase full of snakes that i can uh at any time uh withdraw a snake <laughs> to um <laughs> either uh get some venom that i can use in combat to poison people or get some healing to uh cure my own wounds um and of course i can also deploy a snake in combat to, as like a pet I don't yet know what happens. Uh, for ages, like, I would always win and I didn't lose my snake and it didn't seem to cost anything, so I always did it. And then one, someone killed my snake and I haven't had any combat since then, so I don't know if that means I don't have my snake anymore <laughs> or if my briefcase full of snakes can provide a new replacement snake. Um, the combat's pretty basic, but, um, it's, uh, you know, it works and it's, um, I'm kind of interested in, in whether it develops. Uh, I've quite enjoyed poisoning people and <laughs> sticking my snakes on them um and it's got this really um the kind of world it's set in is uh mostly western cliches but there's uh lots of with a lot of like self-referential and self-deprecating and um uh, lampshading and uh poking fun at the genre um but people keep referring to uh things that have changed since the cows came home <laughs> which is just such a great like ominous line and i still don't really know what that was but the, at some point the cows did come home <laughs> now everything is different um and i really like that i've only just done like the basic tutorial sort of area and i've got a horse um i chose my horse from ghost horse mad horse uh, normal horse and i think there's a, maybe a dark horse but it's in a mine and I can't get it out. <laughs> I, I've done this, I played this at uh, an earlier build and I, th that time I found all the horses and in this build I can't figure out how to get the horse from the mine because there's a box of tools that's locked and I can't figure out how to unlock it. And technically I can just move on from the area. I've already got my horse. There's no need to unlock to, to get this other horse, but I just feel for the sake of completion I, that I should. Um, but yeah, next I'm going to ride out west and I think I get to choose like a, a partner from the, I've done favors for various people and um, uh, they're all kind of messed up people. <laughs> and uh, a couple of them have said things like, oh, when are you going to ride out? Uh, let me know and I, I'll be happy to join you. Um, at first I thought I was like accumulating a party and I was going to have loads of them, but I, there's reference elsewhere to like choosing a partner. So I think mm -hmm. I'm going to have to pick one of them to be my my buddy. How far along is West of Loathing now? It's, it's out next month. Oh, shit. Mm. Cool. Yeah. That's my question. <laughs> it is good. That's exciting. What have you been playing, Chris? I've been playing Everspace, yeah. which is... I, I, I think I was faintly aware of it because it's been in early access for a while. I think it's now out, out, done. Mm. Um, Are you any kind of overlord in it? <laughs> evil or otherwise? No. No, I don't really... I was thinking about this, whether or not there was a segue from like going west, because it's a game <laughs> where you always go east, like space east. <laughs> And I don't know if there's a segue here, basically. <laughs> I have to apologize. No. No, okay. Um, essentially, 
I'm sorry, and and you you the listener is going to have to make do with this paltry <laughs> excuse for a transition. Um, so I was faintly aware of it, but I think it had gotten lost in the mix for me with like a few other space names with similar names, space games with similar names, which is hard to say. Um, I do think Everspace is a little bit a bit, a bit of a generic sounding thing. I think I got it confused with some of like those, those huge procedural universe generator things you see every now and then. Yeah. Um, this is not that at all. What it is is a the kind of it's it is a three way hybrid of freelancer, dead cells, and FTL. Mm. And so you probably know immediately whether that sounds like the best game ever. <laughs> um, and it mostly lives up to that actually. I think so. The way it works is it is a three D um space combat sim mm. um on the arcade end of the spectrum um so it's i think freelancer is my point of reference for it generally um in that it is you can play in first person you can even play in vr um and it looks gorgeous so you know it's it definitely has a well implemented you know first person mode you can press a button to free look in the cockpit and all the things you might want but it's not um slow and it's not a sim um is so, it is it broadly um, dogfighty or capital shippy? Dogfighty, right. uh, but with some big s- surprises in it. But mm. yeah, um, so at a basic level, you are you know doing dogfighting things in in three dimensions. It is um, so in terms of where it fits in terms of space combat games, um, it has it has freelancer style disregard for Newtonian physics, although there are certain things that can affect that it's 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 the sort of school of thought that says that there's something about your ship that's simulating atmospheric flight so some of the modifiers (laughs) you can unlock later on change things about that Mm. so an example is i've got a modifier now that makes if i choose to equip it it means i take less damage from collisions but i get less inertial dampening so i drift um if you turn you you have to kind of compensate for the turn and things like that which is interesting thing to add uh, but by default, it feels like three-dimensional atmospheric flight. But you can roll and and boost up and down as in addition to going forwards and backwards. Mm. So you do have like you, there's a surprising amount of hovering and stopping and spinning on the spot for a for a, you know which is appropriate to a space combat game. But it's not it's not fully in the we're just being World War Two planes in space. So Star that Wars would, end of it um, kind of solve the infinitely pulling up on the stick. Like yeah, the, it doesn't have a, it feels a lot um, just as, as a minute second by second combat game. Um, it doesn't have, it doesn't quite have the flying in a circle forever issue. And that's due to, um, there's a lot of turning forever because mm. it's the nature of space combat, I think. But, um, as you get better at it and you, you kind of learn its systems a little bit more, there are things you can do in terms of finesse that allow you to fly like a little bit more efficiently, which is quite important. And that often involves like, um, if you sort of not, if you concentrate on not trying to keep, maintain a bead on somebody, like AI will often try and charge you. Um, the way that their rate of fire and their turn rate is calibrated versus your turn rate, particularly if you're sort of strafing and boosting and moving in a different direction, is you can often like turn inside their their arc of fire and kind of dodge everything as it comes in, mm. which is often better than tanking it. And then be in a position to sort of snap around as they fly past you, and then be behind them for a few seconds and that kind of thing. It does work. It's it's not. You know, there is nuance to it. So when I say it's sort of arcadey, I don't mean it's thoughtless. It's just not, um, it's not like elite where every encounter is kind of a little bit slower and is more about kind of like taking apart the other ship. You will fight sort of bigger hordes and kind of have to have a plan for them. But I found it like, um, 
pretty now after a couple of hours probably about six hours of it i've gotten to the point where like i kind of look forward to the combat encounters because cracking them is interesting and the thing that is on top of that is that your loadout has a huge effect on how you fight so um after a couple of hours laudably after a couple of hours i've unlocked all the ships so you start with the sort of like the generic chassis which is super middle of the road does kind of everything nothing amazingly and then um so I'm trying to, trying to unpick the chicken and egg of how to explain how this all fits together a bit. So I'll, I'll start with the structure of the game. So you have your you have your your dog fighting flying around in space in, in randomly generated sectors of space. Um, and when you enter a sector of space, it's structured exactly like FTL. So you go into a, a zone, and then you sometimes you are free to jump out of that zone at any point, and sometimes there are things you will have to do in order to get out. And then when you jump, you pick what your next destination is. It's not quite as freeform as FTL, but you get a similar kind of star map with like branching pathways towards the end of the zone. Mm-hmm. Um, like there aren't as, there are very rarely as many options as there are in FTL. It's only like two paths and some of them branch. Um, what kind of choices are you making at that point? So at the beginning, you're not really. Um, as you get upgrades that persist between runs, you can see more about what you're get going into. And occasionally, like in FTL, you'll be given missions that require you to go to a particular node to finish them. Uh, and then eventually you get to the, the, the Stargate at the end of the particular sector, and then you go to a new sector. Mm. Um, in the course of a run, you will get equipment and stuff and lots of resources and things like that. And you also get money. And sometimes you'll find shops or service stations to repair your ship or get fuel for jumps uh to spend money in a given run but really you don't want to because the, your money is the only thing you keep when you die when you die everything gets reset but you have the money and you're not allowed to start a new game until you've spent as much as you possibly can <laughs> uh, on um so you have a sort of global skill tree um like a kind of like you know which gives you access to things like critical hit chance and stuff like that. It's kind of, they're quite small upgrades. Like it's not thrilling, but that's also where you upgrade, for example, your scanner, which allows you to see more about different nodes on the map. So it starts to feel quite different as you, you can say like, Oh, well, this node has a service station. So I'm going to plot the thread that gets me there mm. or that kind of thing. Um, and then each individual ship chassis, uh, which are also unlocked with money has their own, um, uh, cost and their own skill tree that upgrades specific things about that chassis so when you have a favorite one you can invest points in making it better and that's it, it's quite a lot like dead cells like it, in that you have a currency that you pick up through the course of your run that you have to invest before you can continue dead cells blocks that off yeah. uh in the kind of interstitial bits between each level where you're not allowed the door doesn't open unless you spend every cell you have this is like that but it's between playthroughs um and i like that system because it does prevent you from hoarding and it just makes you feel happy to kind of just dump st- dump the money into stuff mm. each of the two other ship chassis cost ten thousand dollars which is quite a lot at the start um but it means that you get each of them after like one good run you get that ship it's not like a grind or it doesn't require like special circumstances but because you have to spend everything you've got when you die you have to get a good run to get those ships so they feel like quite like a nice achievement and there's a nice feeling of like being quite deep into the game but north of 10k knowing that oh well at the end of this one i'm getting my next ship which is kind of cool mm. there are two other chassis um one is the light ship like an interceptor which uh and then after a time you also unlock 
loadouts for them. So that one now has for me a cloaking device, which is really cool, works really, really nicely, and a teleporter, which allows you to like blink basically in space, which is a really nice way of doing anything. And I've also got the heavy gunship now, which has a turret, which the others don't have, but fires automatically on a cooldown. Um, and huge armaments, but it's slow and super heavy and it can't take a shield. And so you have to become much more cautious about how you use it. Although I've put the drift and collision damage reduction thing on that so that I can just ram it into things, which is <laughs> cool. Um, and so then the other side of this is that um, resources are super important. So in addition to money, and this is like, I think initially when I started playing it, I didn't like this system, but I've come around to it. So you... In each given sector, there might be enemies, there might be neutral ships, which you can choose to help or avoid or try and kill, but that can have a knock-on effect, a little bit like shooting a shopkeeper in Spelunky. Like it can, mm. if they get a distress signal out, then, then the neutral ships in the next sector will also be hostile, <laughs> which is kind of like a nice mechanic. There's lots of little things like that, far too much for me to go into, but like little sort of things you learn about how different elements work. Um, but you also have loads of crafting materials, which some of them you can get from enemies. Um, some of them you mine by like finding a mineable node, like an asteroid or something and shooting it to get the stuff from it. Um, and then some of them can be secreted away in like cargo canisters and derelict ships and things like this that you sort of find scattered around the zones randomly. And those can be used to either build any item that you have the blueprint for, which is a, again, a kind of, game spanning things once you found the blueprint you've got it and that means you could if you have a favorite weapon that you've been relying on looting if when you find the blueprint for it if you get the crafting materials you can make it which is from a pause menu so you can make things in the middle of a fight if you want and swap them out um and your ship so your ship has two your ship has a primary weapon secondary weapons um basically upgrades and consumables and all of these things can be crafted or looted and these are the things that change the feel of a run so each ship and loadout has its own default. But then you have your primaries, which you switch between, you're encouraged to switch between a lot. And the primary weapon is essentially doesn't have ammo as an energy cost from your depleting energy bar, which also affects active abilities and boosting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you might have one that does loads of damage to shields and one that does loads of damage to hull and you flip between them, like a Gatling gun and a blazer cannon. But then you have like charge guns like the Unreal Tournament shock rifle and, and like a space shotgun and like um, flat cannon, like an exploding projectile. There's loads, there's loads of them basically. And they can be upgraded and you can spend crafting materials to upgrade range and rate of fire and energy cost and spread and all, all this stuff, very granular detail. They have secondary weapons, which are basically consumables which are mostly missiles of various kinds and also like a BFG. It basically is the BFG 9000, uh, but in space. Then you have abilities and some of those are passive. So it's just like a shield. Why not? And some of them are active, like a cloaking device or a turret or uh, a damage boost for a certain amount of time or something like that. Then you have consumables, um, which again can be things like damage boosts or healing or regenerating your shields or replenishing your energy, but can also be deployable drones and um, like... Or like a one-off thing that hacks every drone enemy nearby and turns them to your side. Um, and initially, I think when you start playing, I think a little bit like Dead Cells, uh, and Tommy, I think you said this, like it doesn't have a great experience straight away because it's a lot of systems all at once. Mm. And they all interact in quite complicated ways. And it's not like Dead Cells in that you, it's only when you've gotten the first couple of upgrades that it starts to come alive. It's more that you have to kind of just learn to pass all of the stuff and kind of focus on what's important and see the fun in some of the systems that seem more complicated. So you also have quite granular damage. So your shield regenerates if you have one. 
your hull doesn't and you have a resource that is spent to heal which is a lot like ftl and so it replicates some of that feeling from ftl of like not being low on hull and trying to figure out whether you want to engage in a fight or run based on if you fight you might get the resources you need to heal but if you die that's it and if you jump out maybe you'll find yourself in a more difficult sector you know what i mean there's that sort of like trade-off thing it's a kind of similar but your subsystems can also take damage so that your weapons drain more energy when they fire and things like that Mm. and they require crafting materials to fix so sometimes you want to hold some of your crafting materials back in case stuff gets damaged but one of its problems i think early on particularly is it can be quite disorienting because you're in a fully 3d space it's not like a 2d level that you can easily get your head around um and you have a scanner radius around your ship that highlights things like enemies and enemies are highlighted a bit further out but things like crafting materials pickups loot boxes hazards points of interest that get highlighted in a radius around your ship um and they've done their best to find a way of like indicating that there's something you're not looking at pan your camera this way but like initially i was playing it in first person i found it a lot more pleasant to play in third person but like freelancer because you have a bigger field of view and it just makes that process of like quickly scanning an area to see if there's anything else you need to kind of hoover up before you move on Mm. a bit less claustrophobic like imagine playing spelunky in first person but with levels that required you to have that level of like you know attention to detail when it came to like mining it all out to make sure you've got all the resources before you Mm. move on Mm. it it doesn't 100% reconcile that like the one of the things you'll find in some sectors is like a communications like node that you can scan and it reveals everything in that sector like basically gives you like unlimited scan range and it's amazing because suddenly you can see everything and everything's (laughs) way more pleasant and it's an interesting trade-off because they've made that like a one-off like it feels special when you find it but actually it makes it so much more pleasant to then find everything in that particular zone that it's like should it be like this Mm -hmm. upgrading your scanning radius is a thing like it's a thing you can do so you can get closer to that but the reason i brought it up is in my first playthrough uh my scanner got damaged which meant that it only works in little flickering bursts. So you can think there's something over there, but you have to keep your mouse over it because everything's context sensitive. Then wait for the scanner to flicker back on and then you'll get like a second to read whatever it is. <laughs> and when you're new to the game, it's the worst one to get because you can't really see anything that's going on anymore. And I couldn't figure out, and obviously to get the crafting materials to fix that stuff, you've got to find the right crafting materials, which you kind of need the scanner for. <laughs> so I found myself like having really unpleasant time with it just because it felt really punishing and stuff and then weirdly like six hours in i've had the same experience again pretty much but this time i needed crystal but i knew what crystal looks like Mm. so rather than relying on my scanner i was just looking for like purple glowing rock sticking out of an asteroid and as soon as i saw that i knew i could go and get the crafting materials i needed to fix the scanner and that made the run feel um really cool and like gave that run some character the like the the coolest thing that's happened to me so far was my first, my, the first I've gotten was my first run with the light ship with the cloaking device, which is definitely my favorite way to play it now. Cause the cloaking device genuinely does throw off enemies and creates these situations where you can deliberately wait out its cooldown while dodging everything someone's firing at you. Then, cause there are enemies later on that like deploy like a directional shield. So they'll have like a shield in front of them or to the side mm. and they'll keep it there. And it's almost impervious, which is a good counter to like the really heavy firepower approach. And so, like, waiting for them to come at you, then cloaking, and then coming back around behind them, and then unloading everything when you're right behind them in their blind spot is super cool. I had a level where um, there were these, like, alien fleets that show up if you, like, linger in an area too long. But I had loads of weapons, and I was really kitted out, and so I wanted to finally take on, like, a corvette, like, one of the bigger ships. And the particular alien corvette 
It's like a big ship and it has a sturdy shield, but it's not the hardest. But the reason its shield is sturdy is it has three shield drones that kind of orbit it. So, and this is to kind of illustrate, I think, what how all the systems are supposed to work together. I hid like behind an asteroid and crafted a drone hacker, basically, like with the resources <laughs> that I needed because I'd found enough to, to craft two of them. Um, and enough like energy top up things that I could keep topping up my own energy cloaked flew within and then flew until i got within a point where all three of the drones were within the maximum range of the drone hacker at which point i fired the drone hacker which turned all the shield drones to my side so the corvette <laughs> started shooting them and there were different enemy factions and i picked the particular corvette because it was in a fight with another enemy faction at the same time and then i fired the bfg at it which got rid of all of its shields and like half its hull and then just kept kind of like shooting away but it's loads of health and i was having to like pepper it with rockets but also dodge a lot and then wait for the cooldown on my cloak and come back and i got it to the point where i couldn't see its health bar anymore at which point all the alerts went and another corvette showed up and then another one and um and i realized i couldn't get through its shield because then and it spawned it deployed more drones and i um i think i'd only had the one drone hacker and i didn't have any resources to craft another one so i couldn't i had to go figure out if i could go and find some resources to try and crack it but then fighters from the other Corvette started chasing me. So I ran away and I got into this huge thing. And I ran to a AI service station that then refused to serve me because it got in a fight. So the service <laughs> station then sort of opens up its turrets on the fighters that are chasing me. At which point, two battle cruisers from the other faction show up on the other side of the service station. They're the biggest ships I'd seen in the game. And there's two of them. And they just like exit hyperspace like right into the thing and just open up and i run away cloak and run away again and i think the only reason i didn't die is because i could keep cloaking and hiding and the corvettes are fighting the battle stations and they're all shooting at me and i'd picked my moment really badly because this was one of the few zones that you have to do something to be able to jump out of mm. <laughs> and so a few of them have like a jump jammer which is like an object somewhere in the world and you have a ui element that is like a percentage rating and that's how close you are to it so a lot of it is like flying in a direction to see if it's going up and kind of figuring out where it is. And it's not, it's not just like an arbitrary place. It's usually like attached to a space station or a derelict or something like that. So it's normally like figuring out what's the point of interest in this area. But all I could see is it was like somewhere near the service station, directly between the two battle cruisers. And it was just in there somewhere and I had to get to it. And I ended up managing to get it by, and I actually at that point I was like, maybe this run is over. Maybe this is how it ends, but it actually wasn't. And I managed to get to it by, waiting the cooldown of my cloak figuring out that it had to be on this like particular little like relay station thing that was like hovering between the two battle cruisers cloaking boosting up to it hacking it and then just boosting the fuck away while you you jump by pointing your cursor at the jump icon for the next system and then the percentage ticks up and then you like go into hyperspace and that was such a cool feeling like pulling out of this like crazy battle zone and moving on in the campaign and and getting quite far and then dying to something that I had never seen before. <laughs> um, and so that was great. And there's loads of things I to really recommend it. The the thing that I really wish it didn't do that uh, to, to wrap up, I wanted to bring it up. And the reason I bring it up last, because there's loads of things to recommend it. And I think I really would recommend it if you're into this kind of game is it also has a story to tell mm. and it has a lot of voice acting and it has a lot of cutscenes, and I really don't like them. Like, I think it's actually lost a lot of its mystique because um, something that, like, you know, FTL is quite an atmospheric game despite being super simple visually and, and obviously it relies a lot on writing, like good writing to carry that, but also just the music and the kind of ambience of it. 
I find Everspace, which is a beautiful looking game. Like the effects are lovely. The spaceships are great. You know, it looks really nice. Um, and often actually the environments are brilliant as well. It doesn't quite have the same ambience because they've gone for a kind of, it has a sort of Starcrafty guitar soundtrack, but also you play a dude and there is a plot reason why that particular dude keeps doing the same thing over and over again. Um, and it even introduces you to this, like the, there's a lot more, there's a lot of narrative, um, in the first time you play it, it kind of introduces a lot of ideas. And the first time you get to a particular point in the game, it will play a cutscene that you won't see again, but it'll play when you get to that point. And there are events that can happen. That I think only happen once as you play through it, because like you're not, time isn't restarting. Like each run you're doing is, mm. is happening. Okay, I, I was terrified it would be playing the same cutscene over and over. No, again. it's not that. It's just, you know, so I, I quite like the idea of, like, telling a story through, like, multiple attempts at the same thing. Yeah, it seems like a nice way to um, gain progress in a roguelike. Yeah, the, as a mechanism, I think it's okay. The, the thing is that the fiction they've gone for feels hyper-generic. So it's sort of, it takes away, like, so much... Uh, I mean, all games are like this, but the space games particularly can gain for me at least can gain a lot of like mystery and kind of spectacle from not saying very much i think what elite has been doing recently with its alien reveal has been mm. a big example of that where there's nothing spectacularly original about aliens as a concept in your video game but with the right context can feel special and so it, this game has quite a lot of and there's you know there's some interesting ideas so you, you like you play a dude a kind of whoopy Gennaro dude um, who likes to shout and yell and say, yeah, nanobots, when you pick up some nanobots. <laughs> um, and, his catchphrase. And his computer has an AI, like a sarcastic British AI, and they talk to each other. And that, that's used for exposition and stuff. And there are some nice ideas narratively in that. Like, there are certain things that will play the first time things happen. Like, the first time you find particular weapons or use a particular ship in a particular way. Like, the first time you use the cloaking device, there's a line for that. The first mm. time you see a ship of a particular class, there's a line for that. And those things only play once. And, again, these are interesting ideas for storytelling with a roguelike if it wasn't so powerfully generic. So, you, you know, there's a, a human force of colonial, you know, marine-type space people normal space humans there's an alien race that's sort of faintly mysterious and possibly have been wronged but of warlike in some way there's a neutral merchant faction which is a bit wayland yutani ish mm. there's an ancient alien precursor race that have mysteriously vanished vanished <laughs> called the ancients because of course oh, they're fucking are. uh you have a you know there are other there are other human characters in it you have like a rival whose name is like seth asshole <laughs> and your name is like daniel protagonist <laughs> um and it's not like terribly acted or anything like that. It's just that the way it's conceived is so familiar that it has no mystery to it. And I, mm. and, and like I, me, the person who will absorb lore from anything <laughs> and like space games more than anything, I don't care. Like I really don't care. And it's, it feels like a shame because the mechanism is really interesting and you could unfold the space mystery in this way and have it be really gratifying. And I've actually encountered stuff on the sort of more alien side of it that are really interesting that are completely unlike anything else in the game that amazing stealth ship run ended because of an encounter with something i'd never seen before that but that did something i now know how to deal with mm. that i now suspect might be a kind of spelunky hell level style okay. easter egg but and it's cool that stuff is in there but it kind of lost a lot of its mystique because i i think you know fucking alien ancient alien race called the ancients but also because 
I, I just don't give a, a shit about the protagonist at all. Mm. And that's, I don't know, I like, it's that thing where I almost like wish they hadn't done a story, but they built themselves a really interesting mechanism for telling a story. So I think I, on balance, I wish they had done a different story. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't sound like the same vibe, but I had a similar reaction to Galaxy, where mm. I was, um, I had some, also had some problems with the game because the controls were just, I could never quite get used to, but um, I liked a lot about what was happening in the game and what was happening in the plot was just completely disconnected from that. And it had this, um, it was supposed to be like a, I think they described it as sort of like a Saturday morning cartoon um, vibe, but the upshot of it was that uh, that meant I was the cocky hotshot pilot who <laughs> always tries to make jokes about things, but the jokes aren't really jokes. And I just hated him and I just, and I, I don't know if Galaxy would have had Mystique exactly without it, but it, imagining that game where I'm just a silent, anonymous spaceship makes me so much more excited about it. <laughs> like, I'd much rather play that. I think I, I didn't mind Galaxy, but that's because I kind of got what it was going for with the cartoon thing. And also it commits to that in like every part of the game. So the UI and the names of the levels are supposed to sound like episode titles and they're randomly generated and that kind of thing. Like Everspace, it's, it's genre is like generic video game. It's, mm. you know, the, the protagonist sounds quite a lot like Troy Baker. I don't know if they got Troy Baker. They just found another man. It sounds like Troy Baker. And there's something to say that that's not, you know, capable acting for a video game. It's just so acting for a video game that you can't, it doesn't mean anything. You know what mm. I mean? It's like mm. you've heard a, a sort of slightly out of his depth. But down to earth, funny, you could have a beer with this guy, internet video game protagonist performance before. Uh, maybe I'm, it's the kind of thing you probably completely forgive a couple of years ago, but I think games have proven that you can do more interesting things with your protagonists and, mm. you know, your plot overall. And do you yeah. know anything about, um, who makes it? Is it what kind of size team? No, nothing at all, really. It's the, I've completely, it's blanked indie on, though, right? It is, yes. I totally blanked on the name of the studio. I think it's... I'm not going to guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll... It feels like... It, it, it feels... I think it's indie. It feels very accomplished. Like, as I say... It's like Bullfrog <laughs> or Lionhead. <laughs> Dead fish? But that might be wrong. That might be wrong. Something... Fish? Bone? <laughs> I, I'm guessing. This is not good audio experience. We can put it in the show notes. We can put it in the show notes. But yeah... I mean, it's super accomplished, and the reason I front-loaded it with, like, all the things that are brilliant about it is because I want to I want to finish it, I, but I want to finish it because I want to see all the stuff that's in it, and I want to play with all the different weapons, and I want to get to the end from a mechanical point of view. I'm excited to figure out how you do that, like, how mm. good you need to be and what kind of challenges you'll face. And The structure stuff sounds really interesting. Yeah, and it's proven enough that there are surprises that I want to see what they are, and I want to find out more of them, and I don't want to be spoiled on them. Like, I don't, you know, I don't want to look up everything that's in the game because i suspect there are things that i'd be excited to discover that's all great it's just a shame that i i i the space law liker <laughs> do not like the space law <laughs> um i'm really glad that we're in like a time when there i mean some people are sick of 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 roguelikes and then some other people are upset about what is and isn't called a roguelike and the term itself is now used for incredibly wide variety of things which means I'm not sick of roguelikes, and I'm really excited that there are uh, so many experiments going on with like how permadeath can interface with long-term progression, like specifically the question of 
what can you gain within one life that carries over to the next life and mm. what is the progression there and uh, how interesting is it and do you care about it and are you customizing your game or are you just sort of progressing along a linear path or um and you know ftl ftl kind of added that um uh quite late i think because i remember the, the version that um we were playing at pc gaming before release didn't have any kind of long-term progression i don't think you could unlock ships and unless maybe like right at the end um but yeah that feels like a very open question in game design feels like something we're all still experimenting with and figuring out and uh i think there's going to be if there isn't already i think there's going to be a, like some really great answers to that that are going to be some games where that is incredibly compelling i really like anything that gives you like a piece of knowledge to carry into the uh, it's just learning that's a dumb thing <laughs> but, you know but like i, I like specifically that when games are not so easily broken down into their systems so after a couple of runs you don't understand fundamentally every system in the game that there can still be things that you encounter that a surprise you and b the permadeath mechanic doesn't feel too cheap because the next time you go in you've learned something that like next time i find myself in this particular node i can do this thing Mm. and that's a really nice kind of i really like that feeling because i think it sets up future moments of drama like okay well when this crazy thing that looks like it'll annihilate you happens again i've had time since the last one to come up with a plan and that's a kind of nice sort of expands your sense of what's in the game basically what you need to be ready for and how you react to certain situations and you get the sort of evolving skill set of what I mean, this is a good example of that because you have this crafting system and initially you're probably not interested in investing in it at all because you're just getting used to the upgrades you have. And then later you learn that, like, I don't need this, so I'm going to salvage this and use it to make this consumable I think I might need because there's a ship protected by drones over there and if I can salvage this and build the drone controller, then I can go and kill that ship and get its guns and that kind of thing. And that's a really nice sort of point to arrive at, I think, with a game like this. Hmm. Yeah, it's good. Definitely recommend it. Just ignore the, the... the, the whoopy spaceman shall we do questions, shall <laughs> questions? thanks for asking john <laughs> i fucking love questions let's do some questions all right let's do some fucking questions i was just staring at the side of tom's head waiting for him to say that for the last 30 <laughs> seconds was... as tom looked everywhere in the room that wasn't towards me <laughs> <laughs> i thought you were gonna say it but i spoke last questions questions enough awkward questions from questions hand over Non-questions. It's time for some questions. First question isn't a question. Comes from Aiden, who writes, Did any of you... Well, this is a question. I take back what I just said. (laughs) (laughs) Did any of you watch any of Super Games Done Quick? There's a bit at the start of the Brothers run, he means Brothers Tale of Two Sons, where the runner says, I've just got to clip my dad out of bounds here. That's all. (laughs) Aiden. That's excellent. Any of you watch some some no, speed runs? No, um, I haven't watched any yet, but I'm uh, excited to um, watch some of today's once they go up on the the YouTube because they did uh, Divinity Two Original Sin, Divinity One Original Sin. Oh, the original Sin One is one. Okay. Oh, but it, <laughs> but it's not the because there was also Divine Divinity and Divinity. Yes. Um. Whatever it is, uh, it's the one where you can kill things by putting a lot of items in a chest and then dropping the chest on the thing. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> the chest gains mass, yeah. Um, and then after that, they did Oblivion. I'm also... Uh, no, sorry, Skyrim, I think. Um, and I'm also interested to see how that went. Mm. 
any Elder Scrolls game is always good. Yeah, I tend to pick them up after the fact. I don't tend not to watch the live streams unless I happen to be watching. Twitch yeah, that it's day. just I can't keep up with it, and I know about this because um, uh, someone was tweeting. I think Dominic Tarrison, who I think we know ish, <laughs> um, uh, was tweeting about both those things, and that alerted me to the fact that it was happening. But also at a time when I couldn't, couldn't actually watch it right then and there. I find um, Twitter tends to be reliably good at highlighting speedruns. Mm-hmm. I will actually enjoy. I mean, I probably enjoy all speedruns, to be honest, because they're all interesting. But as someone who doesn't habitually watch Twitch for long stretches of time, like, didn't actually watch it. But yeah, exciting. I did, I, I've watched someone do Divinity in that, with that method. All right. And you can't really tell that's what's happening. Because <laughs> okay. it is like using like an item glitch or something to create like an infinitely heavy chest and then just like putting it near the boss that then just explodes. <laughs> um, because in a sufficiently heavy object hitting the ground can cause things to move <laughs> towards it. There's your callback. Our next question comes from Grizzly, who writes, Hello. Last episode's question about games you would play against death made me think back to a wonderful book I once read, The Book Thief, which has many great qualities, one of them being that it is narrated by death. This particular version of death is very compassionate, a being who shoulders the grief that marks the world, who often brings peace to souls who have never known any. This is a death that comes as a friend, and you're offered the option of playing one last game. Death can be a formidable opponent, a well-matched co-op partner, an encouraging audience, or he can just leave you in peace while you savour this last moment. What would your last video game be? Kind regards, Grizzly. Can I use an endless game so that I can play forever and not have to die? Is there a game that goes on forever if you have a partner? What what game does go forever, Tom? Um, Bejeweled Endless Mode. <laughs> but that's not multiplayer. But also, then you would play Bejeweled Endless Mode forever. And it was one of the options that Death just watches. <laughs> no, but you still have to do that thing forever. Yeah. Is yeah, that well, preferable? I don't know. It depends what the afterlife is. Can we ask? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, before you, I choose, can you tell me what happens after? I, I mean, this is, I'm not going to get too deep here, but like, is, if you had to choose between no afterlife and playing Bejeweled Endless Mode <laughs> literally forever because you will not die forever, forever, I think I would pick Oblivion. I was hoping not the that... game. <laughs> Oblivion's a nice length, actually. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Hundred hours, good, good last session, time to say farewell to your loved ones. Um, I, I was kind of hoping that, like, if the game did not have a discrete end, then it was up to me when it was truly over, and therefore I could play for as long as I like, and then it'll still go when, when I decided it was my time. I think, I mean, one thing you could pick would be uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild on the Switch, because <laughs> it's portable. Does so you can run away? So, and it goes on for a long, it's a long game, there's a lot of... um you know, exploring to be done. It's quite open-ended, so you can probably play it for a long time. But because it's on the Switch, as long as you were still playing it and you could keep it charged somehow, you could travel the world, you could live a full life, you could, you know, and just while also like, while always like cooking some hot chili peppers or something, just on the, the mini games. Uh, that's cheating. Uh, really. Cheating death, some might say. Yeah. To give the somber straight answer, I think maybe what remains of Edith Finch. Yeah, mm. it deals that. with death in a very kind of romantic, peaceful way. Sometimes, even with vaguely horrific deaths, 
Um, you come away from them often thinking, that wasn't so bad. I could go for some of that. <laughs> some no, of that death. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, I'd, you know, if we're going to incorporate death as this ideal co-op partner or opponent into the game, I think, I think I would maybe play a game of uh, player unknown battlegrounds, like one last <laughs> plunk bag duos with death, because as a co-op partner, like in duo queue, because presumably if death is an ideal co-op partner, which is the premise, then they're going to be fantastic. They're going to be supporting you, giving you the best weapons. You've got a good chance of winning. In which case, it's a decent length of game. <laughs> I think at the moment your number is up like that, I'd rather like, I wouldn't want to play something super long. Because if you said like, I'm going to play all Baldur's Gate 2 and all of its expansions, then you probably get sick of that one activity that you're allowed to do. And also, I think it, the, the anticipation of what happens when you finish it <laughs> would make it all worse, you know? Whereas, like, a defi- like non-defined length, that would be the tensest game of Player in Battlegrounds is your life, because as soon as you die, <laughs> you actually die. Um, but, you know, it, it, you also, you win, and then you die. So, like, I think it could be a, a You get a chicken dinner. You get a chicken dinner before you go, like, last meal. Um... That'd be my my choice. For some reason, the idea of playing co-op alien swarm with death really cracks me up. <laughs> <laughs> Just like when it goes into slow mo, and there's the. <laughs> you could play Diablo three all the way to the end of the expansion, at which point you fight a pretty obvious, obviously inspired by death boss Malthael, um, which you could just use to make death feel uncomfortable. Because that's the very end of that game as well. So it'd be like, is he the Reaper of Souls? <laughs> yes, the titular Reaper of Souls. Does, he's got like two scythes, right? Yeah. Well, after he's, he's used them, does he throw them away and draw new scythes from his Reaper of Overwatch? No, but that would have been amazing. Uh, I wonder if they just added him to Heroes of the Storms. So maybe they've. Um... So this is completely unrelated, but while browsing Amazon Prime Video looking for movies to watch the other night, I discovered that there's a a fireman sam straight to dvd movie called fireman sam heroes of the storm <laughs> and i'm not joking and it's literally like hurricane comes to ponty pandy and it doesn't mention like diablo and thrall and all the other characters that are presumably in it but i was tickled by that um so and uh, the next time i run a, any kind of story on heroes of the storm if if i do that's that's the splash art <laughs> Um, don't know why I got on that, but uh, nonetheless, that exists. I assume there's a scene where he like delves into the crypts to farm undead to raise stronger golems. <laughs> exactly. And pick up his sandwiches or something. <laughs> um, yeah, well, you know, Fireman Sam is the hero of the storm next door, <laughs> as they sing. Um, good. Good. Let me answer is that there question. there a director DVD Bob the Builder movie, Defense of the Ancients? <laughs> <laughs> Weirdly, there are a surprising number of Fireman Sam apocalypse scenario straight to DVD movies. There's also one called something like Fireman Sam Into the Firestorm or something like that. <laughs> like, I don't think it's called that. Like, this could all be videos. Like, they sound like Roland Emmerich movies, but like, <laughs> with Fireman Sam, which is the best that, you know, I would totally watch the, like, I was about to say I'd watch the gritty reboot of Fireman Sam starring The Rock, but that is basically just the movie San Andreas. Yeah. <laughs> um, next question comes from michael who writes dear cratesses and crow barons in a previous pod you answered a nice letter about someone who had found solace in games like darkest dungeon and torment tides of numenera i think this is great and i've had many similar experiences with games helping me carry on through troubling times 
However, on occasion, it is a terrible consequence. I find I come to associate a painful experience with the game, and once the experience is over, I can't return to the game without being reminded of that pain. For example, I was once travelling abroad with friends when I was struck with a terrible sickness and basically rendered bedridden. To pass the time while my friends went out and enjoyed themselves, I played Civ Five on the laptop I brought with me. It was a great comfort, but after I recovered, I found I had to give up playing Civ Five. Anytime I go back, I'm just reminded of that sad experience. My question for you is, have you ever had a game that you give up playing because it reminded you of a painful past experience? If not, congrats! Here's an alternative question. What is the best uniform in games? Me, I'd say Captain Anderson's uniform in Mass Effect 1. Cheers, Michael. So on the first part, I think this is like quite a common phenomena in all kinds of media. Like where you just get a bad association with a song or a mm. film or, or something. And I think I've had that with certain games or like certain it typically is any game that i've sort of played to escape from a you know situation or feelings or something is then harder to go back to because weirdly it's almost like you channel that negativity into that particular thing and then it just mm. sort of lives there now even though it was an escape at the time i've definitely found it's that before. Your stupid meat brain is making the equivalent of sense memories yeah and associating pain with a specific thing which i've never had to be honest um Weirdly, I I grabbed um, Skyrim Special Edition in the sales just on a whim, but possibly because also it was in every E3 presentation ever, and um, played it for ten minutes and had and just had like a visceral response to it that said absolutely not, nope. <laughs> um, after like two hundred hours in it and walking away being back on the precipice of it and looking down into the abyss, <laughs> like sorting out all the mods and remembering how to play it and then going and find the like the one bit of content that I hadn't done yet. It was just a huge, like terrifying response which was not associated with pain in any way. But it's it's that feeling you don't know you're done with something until you go back to it and you realise, oh shit, I've got all these associations here that I can't really Yeah. Maybe that's more just like time and a place in life rather than yeah i mean to be honest i feel that way about the mass effect trilogy to some extent mm. like i don't think i will play it all again anytime soon necessarily because i mean i've played it through so many times but it was of a particular time in my life mm. you know like that you know that spanned five years starting 10 years ago and ending five years ago which is a strange feeling but like the same amount of time has passed since that trilogy ended. Um, since the time it took in my life completely, and it's like I can't go back to exactly how it felt then and why it was so special. Yeah. So I'd rather not. It's not that I don't think it would be painful to play, but I think it would feel less special, and I don't want to have that memory altered. Yeah. Necessarily. Tom, I played Dragon Age Inquisition when I was really sick. And I haven't been back to it. <laughs> I ha had not previously thought that that was because I was sick when I played it. But maybe it is. Who knows? <laughs> Actually, I think the bigger reason is I, I fear that if I go back to it, I, kind of a bit like your Skyrim thing, I will have no idea how to play it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like you build a character in that bit by bit and you learn each skill as you go. And now I can't remember what any of them were. Even like Diablo, you know, it, I've played 63 levels of it in a week. And yet I played it again today and hadn't played it for, you know, four days or three days and i was like how do i play this character <laughs> like it's really specific you need to be totally into the into the game to know what 
you were thinking when you built your character this way and mm. how it should all work? Our next question comes from James, speaking Mass Effect, who writes, Dear Krogan and Ket, in the past hour in Mass Effect, I have resolved long-running gang warfare, unearthed priceless ancient artifacts, and changed the climate of an entire planet. But which heroic act was it that caused me to level up? Climbing on someone's roof and prodding their antenna so that they could phone their mum. <laughs> which brings me to my question. What's the daftest way that you've ever leveled up? Cheers, James. Uh, I'm sure I have mentioned this on the podcast before, but I hit level 31 in Guild Wars 2 by inventing toast. <laughs> Specifically inventing buttered toast. Because um, you get XP whenever you craft something for the first time using the recipe system, and I combined butter and bread <laughs> to create buttered toast. And that pushed me over the edge into level 31. I frequently level up in Diablo 3... Um when I haven't done anything in particular, uh, like I'm just walking around and it was only level up, and it's because it's finished doing the maths on how many people I just killed. <laughs> like, you have a big fight, and while it's going on, uh, there's a kind of... Uh, a, depicted as a fuse ticking down, and it'll say, you've killed 31 people, and then, like, uh, if you don't kill another person before the fuse ticks down, then that's how many people you killed, and it gives it a name, and it gives you an XP bonus for it. Um but while that fuse is on screen, if you keep killing, then it will keep going up. And so uh, it doesn't know how much XP to give you until it's waited a sort of respectful amount of time to see, are you killing anyone else? Nope. Doesn't seem like it. Nope. Okay, you're done. And now, a big thing about, oh, it's a, this kind of massacre, and therefore you get two times experience, and then that's what tips you over the edge to leveling up. So it's just like the accountancy was done. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that a little bit more like cool people don't look at explosions like you just step away <laughs> and then you level up you know what i mean it's it's you level up at the point where you sheath the sword dramatically after the massacre not <laughs> midway well it's um in diablo it's like an explosion right it actually kills things if they're near you when you level up yeah um so it'd be more useful if you could do it in the middle of combat <laughs> cool dudes don't explode at explosions <laughs> <laughs> cool dudes don't explode with joy when they kill enough people <laughs> Next up, Aaron writes, Dear Crown and Crumpets, Happy proto-Brexit anniversary from a Yankee who's starting to think King George might have been wise to cut his losses. With Far Cry heading stateside for its next instalment, I'm already starting to think about how the franchise will repurpose the map for its inevitable off-year standalone. Far Cry 3 had its Blood Dragon, and 4 its Primal. I'm placing my bets now that 5's fictional Montana will become the backdrop for an Old West theme in 2018. My question, how would you repurpose an existing game's map for an entirely different genre than the one it was conceived for? Revolutionarily yours, Aaron. Skyrim Extreme Snowboarding. <laughs> Shit. I love this question. Asset reuse. It's magnificent. <laughs> Across companies would be amazing. Uh, anyway, the what was the Assassin's Creed set in um, Victorian London? Syndicate. Because that would be fantastic for any kind of Sherlock Holmes game, anything mm. <laughs> like that. I think the I think his call about Montana getting used for the cowboy game we thought they were going to announce, as we speculated mm. it about it over the course of like six episodes, um, is a really good shout. I didn't even thought about that. The like all that investment. They also um, caught a lot of flack for Primal. I don't think they did with Blood Dragon because it was an expansion. 
Um, and so this is like an accepted thing to do for expansions, but obviously not for a full new game. I can't really understand why. I, I don't think they, I don't think they'll do it for another full game, um, because of that, that, uh, for all. But also I don't really understand why they did it the first time. It doesn't seem like changing the layout would be that hard. It seems like making all the new assets would be really hard. And they yeah. did that. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure what I would, I mean, I remember, I think, one of Graham's kind of go-to thoughts along these lines was always all of GTA cities, particularly GTA 5's Los Santos should have a million different games in it. Mm. But I don't know, like my favorite game worlds are the ones where you can't answer this question. Like where they are specifically for the, even open world games where they specifically suit the game that has been crafted around them necessarily. I don't know. I definitely play. I definitely play a different type of game in any of Deus Ex's open world city areas. Hmm. Oh, actually, I will play the single player RPG version of almost any MMO because hmm. <laughs> I just hate MMO mechanics. But especially like the Final Fantasy MMOs, I love their world design. Yeah, they're lovely. Character That's a good, That's a good quality. Like that. It's always incredibly disappointed when you go and look at gameplay of them and it's just killing goblins for 40 hours. Mm. The thing you probably find is that um, it's weird that everything is so big. <laughs> like every time I see a screenshot of the Elder Scrolls Online, which is uh, I haven't played, um, but obviously it's, it's places that I've played in other Elder Scrolls games and they look just like them in a screenshot with no one in it. And then when there's someone in it, you're like, what? Everything's 10 times bigger. <laughs> like doorways just could fit 20 people in them. I suppose the the question was partly if you took an existing game world and told a different genre of story within it, because it's talking about taking Montana and making it cowboys mm. with the same map rather than just a different genre of play, rather than just like, Skyrim is now snowboarding or Deus Ex is now just purely a detective game or something like that. It's like, yeah, like, and I suppose, I'm trying to think, do a fishing game in Assassin's Creed Black Flags engine. <laughs> Great fishing game. Yeah. Um, I want to keep going back to Ubisoft for this. I would play the, I would play genuinely a sort of tourist walking simulatory slice of life documentary game set in ghost recon wildlands massive bolivia because that game has is gorgeous and has this beautiful landscape and all these sort of atmospheric little towns and the game itself is hot pop so just like the equivalent of like a little travel documentary or something where you, you drive around a little car and just experience it would be mm. that'd be lovely i'd play that i would like to play shadow of mordor on any other world <laughs> like any other open world because it I really like the game, but I find the world incredibly drab and, you know, for obvious reasons, but still doesn't help. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Well, yeah, I mean, all games should have the Nemesis system, basically. Mm. It's the other way of saying that. This is just shoehorning in a mashup that I desperately want to see anyway. But an XCOM kind of game in SWAT 4's levels, <laughs> I really like the idea of a tactical shooter, but with weird-ass aliens and researching mm. strange equipment and stuff like that. Mm. But everything's incredibly lethal and strange. Mm. Next up, from a person on the internet, they write, G'day, Creighton Krogorium's Wonder Emporium. 
A lot of games have novelty items, especially MMOs, and while they play no practical part in the main game, they can often be a lot of fun. World of Warcraft in particular has a wide array of gizmos and gadgets, including everything from fantastic figurines that briefly transform you into squawking bird people, to piccolos that force everyone in your proximity to dance. There's even a summonable keg that provides an infinite supply of dwarven ale. What is your favourite novelty item in a game? And if a friendly wizard were to summon a functioning replica into our world, what sort of mischief, if any, would you use it for? Perhaps you could play Piccolo in some queues around town to stage some impromptu reenactments of that scene in the full Monty. Thanks for all the work you each do, both on and off the pod. Cheers, a person on the internet. Uh, my go-to for this kind of thing are the golden pantaloons in Baldur's Gate. Hmm. Uh, which is an item you'll find possibly within the first couple of hours of the game, uh, where you talk to uh, an irritated noble who assumes you're the laundry maid and gives you his fabulous golden pantaloons. And they do absolutely nothing. <laughs> you can't even equip them. They're just there in your inventory. Um, they've got some funny text description, and they're worth a little bit, so you might just sell them. But if you finish the game and you export your character to Baldur's Gate 2, you can find the silver pantalons in that game. And if you then take that character into the expansion of Baldur's Gate 2, you can find, I think it's like the brass knickers or something like that. And if you take those three items to a weird gnome in one of the towns who has a strange magical forge and makes cryptic remarks... He will forge them all into one massive item, which turns you into a huge robot <laughs> and gives you all kinds of crazy powers and stuff. It's just the most absurd chain that no one has ever done accidentally. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I uh, like the scrolls of a carrion flight in Morrowind. Mm -hmm. right? uh, shortly after you leave the starting town, um, if you sort of go left... Uh, instead of right, which is where you're supposed to be going, uh, a wizard falls from the sky and dies. And when you search him, he's got a few scrolls of a carrion flight and a diary about them. And they are things that increase your agility to 10,000. <laughs> and agility is what controls your jump height. And so uh, he has obviously just jumped from elsewhere in the world. Um, and actually coming back to the Elder Scrolls speedruns mentioned earlier, um, last time I checked the Morrowind... Uh, speedrun record was by getting one of these scrolls uh reading it and then just sort of jumping to the volcano in the center of the island <laughs> meeting the boss there you have to use two because agility controls your jump height and also how much full damage you take and if you if your jump height is um ten thousand, it takes a while before you hit the ground and the scroll will wear off and if your agility is not ten thousand when you hit the ground <laughs> you've got some full damage problems it's such a ballsy thing to have put at the beginning of the game yeah. which is like we're going to have this quite nicely structured open world game but nonetheless gives you a kind of clear path and a gradually escalating difficulty curve and a narrative built around the fact that you'll slowly grow in power and slowly explore your way out of the first town to the first city and so on and so on and so on but we're also going to randomly drop a wizard who will give any player, if they figure out the two scrolls landing thing, the way of just springing themselves into the air. And they'll come down literally fucking anywhere in the game. And then good luck to you. My like, favourite thing about that is that there's an odd number of scrolls. Yeah, it's three, right? <laughs> so at some point, you will break every bone in your body. <laughs> I think um, there's a good useless item in dota at the moment there's quite a lot of good uses cosmetics in, in dota but there's one that 
means that whenever you're in the river, you get you get basically these vials of river dye. And whenever you're in the river, it prompts to say, do you want to use one of your vials of dye? And if you do, you dye the entire river. For every player who can see this, and it'll say, so-and-so has dyed the river chrome or blood or slime <laughs> or dry or all these other different effects. And everyone can see this, which is a stupid thing to do because it reveals that you're in the river to everybody <laughs> on the map. But that would be a dumb one to have in real life. Like if every time I cross, because I cross the river in town, getting into town like all the time. And so like just, you know, you could tell exactly like, well, back in the day when I used to cross the river to get to work, like exactly how late I was to work. The moment I get to the bridge, the entire river becomes chrome in all directions for no reason. That'd be a good dumb thing to have. Like, oh God, I got on a boat in the sea. Sorry, Earth. <laughs> I guess if I had scroll of a carrying flight, I would go to France. <laughs> that's, that's within range it's reasonable so hang on are you basing this on your mental sense of what 10,000 agility would give you <laughs> yeah. a real travel distance so it's about France <laughs> like so like if you had like 10 million would that get you to the moon <laughs> uh, let me think about that yes <laughs> I've done the songs that is correct <laughs> to be honest once you've left atmosphere or once you've left the gravitational pull of earth you could go wherever you like that's true i suppose the moon is still in the gravitational unless, pull of earth unless <laughs> doomfish punched the earth in which case you would move closer <laughs> to him i would jump before he did that <laughs> to avoid the damage <laughs> and this freestyle dnd session comes to an end um, <laughs> um speaking of um well it's not speaking of anything really i just said doomfish by accident what i meant to say was doomfish yes but that reminded me of the name of the development studio that makes everspace which is rockfish. There you go. Reminded you from when you looked it up. In the reminded break. me of when I <laughs> when I looked it up during the break, but then forgot to say after the break. All in all, just great, great <laughs> podcast experience. And Evil Genius was Elixir. Elixir, Elixir, which were indeed former Lionhead people, or at least Demis Asabis. Mm. Good to know. In this bit between questions. Finally, we have a grudge, which comes from Julius. And I, Chris, might sneeze. <laughs> you appear to be warming up a voice there. I hadn't thought of one, although if anyone wants to suggest one, now would be the time before I sneeze. Man, who's about to sneeze? <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> this is this the Stanislavski method of pretending to be a man who's about to sneeze. <laughs> and that I am a man who's about to sneeze. Dear Pipsqueak and Pip Boys. I no longer feel like I'm about to sneeze. That's <laughs> that bit ruined. You've lost the audience. <laughs> I need to get this back. There was a, a tension just... that was capturing us. Yeah. <laughs> I would say it's the first rule of acting, isn't it? Just stop and suddenly say, I am not the person you Well, in some ways, I've been honest to the experience of that character who began the first three words of this grudge, genuinely believing that they were about to sneeze, but then realized, come word four. That was no longer the case. We've been on a journey. It's called character <laughs> development, Tom. I'm not Poirot. <laughs> I'm merely acting on this on this train, which isn't a real train. Johnny Depp's here. Let's not get back on that. <laughs> or let's... Um... Nope. I'm... Nope. <laughs> See, this is good acting. <laughs> really now you, know, now you don't know. Now I'm back on board. Now you don't know. All right. Julius writes... Dear Pipsqueak and Pip Boys, I recently played my first campaign in XCOM 2, which was also my first XCOM game. <clears throat> I decided to go for the true XCOM experience and played Iron Man mode without using the wiki. 
I wanted to be as unprepared and clueless about the alien's abilities as I would be in real life, buying each piece of information at a terrible price paid in the blood of brave soldiers who died way too young. Unsurprisingly, the game became increasingly unmanageable after a while, and I discovered that the memorial had a scroll bar. Mm. Shout out to my amazing sniper lady who completed her mission all on her own after the fact the team got wiped out <laughs> immediately three separate times. But I'm not actually about to sneeze. Sn- oh. Psych. Acting. <laughs> amazing. I knew that I had no chance to turn the campaign around, but I considered the XCOM project failing to be a valid timeline that I wanted to explore. After all, isn't XCOM 2 based on the premise that the player lost the XCOM 1 campaign? Finally, the Avenger the flying ship that acts as your base, was shot down by a UFO and I had to protect it on the ground from advancing alien troops or the campaign would be over. This was it. My last stand. Well, my two rookies looked on helplessly as an alien berserker charged onto the ramp that I was supposed to protect on the first turn. I just mathematically had not enough damage to kill it. But that is just as well. At least now I've earned my bad ending, right? Yet all I was offered was a prompt to retry the mission. Therefore, dear XCOM 2... If you don't let me win the game, at least let me lose the game. Actually, let me generalise that gross towards any game where all but the best ending are unnecessarily unsatisfying. Finally, in a past episode, you talked about a simple setup where just sitting on a chair gave you the experience of weightlessness. I mentioned this to a friend who dabbles in VR and he was very interested. Unfortunately, I was unable to find anything about it on the internet and I don't remember any helpful keywords. I also don't feel like going through all the episodes again for this one segment. If you give me the name of the experiment, that would be great. All the best, Julius. So to answer that final bit, uh, this is something Pip mentioned and it's called the Sawyer's Chair. It's not actually a VR thing though. It's like a digital experience thing i believe like an in situ exhibition thing i suspect i will put a link in the show notes but the sawyer's chair is the thing that she thinks you think are thinking about (laughs) i agree Uh, with the grudge though me too that certainly feels like you've been cheated of some sort of ending i would have expected xcom to have um a bad ending cinematic or at least mm. a bit of text. Especially since it's canon. Yeah. Mm. I don't know if there was but, just a glitch with that special mission. So you can, a little like life hack developers out there who don't have the budget to do a bad ending but want to account for this, you can just roll the credits. <laughs> you just start the credits and that's the bad ending. That said, I really have a soft spot for a good bad ending cinematic. Mm. Like, you know, clickbaity internet lists I'll click on include bad ending cinematics because... <laughs> Like, not enough developers do them, and I understand why, because... I feel like that clickbait would be ambiguous, because I would assume that would be bad ending cinematics. Mm. One of both. Bad, bad ending cinematics. I'd watch either. But, like... Do you have a go-to? Well, for clickbait? No, for, uh, <laughs> for, for good, bad endings. Um. So, often this comes down to more, like horror movie horror game death sequences or mm. fail moments or something, not like fail moments in the kind of youtube compilation is a different form of of uh uh clickbait. clickbait but in terms of like you know fail states you can reach where you die in a particular way to a particular monster at a particular time that kind of thing um where those i don't think of games that have good examples of this i quite like the original fallout which yeah there's a bunch of stuff for either failing the main quest or siding with the bad guys and there are some really satisfying things including 
um, like a good cinematic of sending um, super mutants into the vault you were supposed to protect and then gunning everyone down and you even get to like shoot the overseer just at the final scene. Mm. It's um, if you're going to be the bad guy, it's a good way to be the bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Bioshock. There are lots of games where they throw off a choice at the last minute and one of them is just wrong. <laughs> and uh, they do almost all of these are bad uh, in the sen- in the quality sense uh, in that, I don't know, they want to sort of, they often feel a pressure to tell you that it's the bad ending, that it not just the, that it's the evil ending, but it's the wrong ending, like you made a mistake. Um, I remember I was really pissed off at like, Jedi Knight won <laughs> because the dark side ending was just like really um it, it, I felt like it didn't stay true to what the um uh to what I was going for with that character I, I wanted it to be like a character choice of like which which version of success uh, is uh, are you going for um and it just makes it very clear that like Kyle really regrets his choice and is just lonely and sad <laughs> um and then BioShock uh, if you harvested too many little sisters, it just assumes that you would then hijack a nuclear submarine and <laughs> attack the rest of the world. <laughs> like, hang on, hang on. <laughs> this, this was a, not my, not what I was going for there. Um, Jedi Knight 2 or Jedi Knight 2 Mysteries of the Sith had a really good, was it Jedi Knight 1? Mysteries of the Sith. Had the dark side ending where Kyle becomes the emperor. Which is a great bit of 90s FMV. <laughs> we've just got the actor and we've just put him in a dark bathrobe <laughs> for one scene. Excellent. That's good. Um, yeah, I think the pleasure of a, a well-realized fail state is, is as cathartic, if not more cathartic, than like winning the game. Like, yeah, that's why it's like... People There's a difference it. between the, the evil ending and the, and yeah, the fail state, I guess. No, that's a kind of like... That's what I want is like for things that go wrong to be kind of like fully played out like famously portal 2's actual ending started out as a pretend fail ending (laughs) like it was supposed to be that there was a point in the game where you could shoot the moon with a portal gun and then just get sucked into space and then it it would have a special song for that (laughs) and the credits would roll and it would be the end of the game but it wasn't the real ending and then i think they were struggling to end the game (laughs) that was too good and that was too good a thing to have as an easter egg so that was that Mm. um so yeah, I'd be totally like, I'm, trying to th- I- I'm actually struggling to think of good examples of that. I'm thinking of good death sequences, but I think the reason I struggle to think of examples of this is because more often than not, the investment doesn't get made into things that the player doesn't yeah. want to see necessarily. So Prey obviously has a whole bunch of actual endings. Uh, it also has a kind of early ending. Um, That's true. That is very enigmatic. And I, for me, it worked really well in terms of, uh, didn't tell me how the game was end but it, it put like a seed in my mind of like hmm maybe it's going to be this kind of ending i think we discussed that in the spoiler pod because i hated that because <laughs> for me it confirmed a thing i suspected was happening that then made the rest of the game feel a bit more like a slog right um <clears throat> yeah like given i don't think pro should have dangled that bad early ending it was if it wasn't going to very uh very unusual and interesting choice to have it wasn't a failure state uh, uh you could sort of call it an evil ending but it happens at a time when the other endings aren't available to you it's way early in the others so it's the only ending you can do at that time and so i think probably everyone just saves and tries it right because it's just well i want to know what happens if i do this i don't think it's the what i'm going to go for 
um and uh, the way it ends um uh i guess there's shouldn't say anything about it at all <laughs> in hindsight hmm um i always feel that dishonored speaking about kane the first dishonored game actually has quite well realized bad fail states for lots of different things you can do badly or wrong in the game and the way corvo can end potentially and it almost feels like they they demonstrated a level of commitment towards representing branching bad things that could happen to the characters and so on particularly at the end of dishonored uh in, in that it's a success for having bad endings fully represented within the game but in a way that possibly demonstrates that they didn't expect to make a sequel <laughs> if you know what i mean like it's like we're going to do the full spectra of potentially troubling plot developments right at the end of dishonored where like everyone who's important in the sequel can die um including both protagonists of the sequel can die <laughs> so you like you know there's a sort of almost the opposite problem of like they really went for it and they represented almost everything but had to then make some choices when they went into Dishonored 2 I think I really want um, uh, this sort of where are they now type thing you know at the end of the movie it will be like uh, this character grew up to be a <laughs> whatever <clears throat> uh, like and Dishonored does Dishonored 1 and 2 both do little bits of that but they also heavily judge you they're like this was a bad ending you fucked up their kingdom's in ruin um and i want i want the where are they now without the judgment i want it just to be that's why i um uh was originally planning to replay prey a lot as i wanted to like what happens to x what happens to y and how does this pan out um and i kind of yeah i wish more endings were like that where it doesn't really dictate whether this is the good ending or the bad ending and doesn't for whatever it is whatever your objective was um offer the player interesting choices that are not just fuck this up or do it well <laughs> like make it be more about you know you care about this character so here's what happened to them to be fair though if i got to the end of like a 60 hour rpg and my character's hand is hovering over the, the ending button whatever form it takes deus ex style and the two prompts come up and one of them is fuck this up and the other is do it well i would i would applaud the game for its honesty <laughs> right at the end yeah and deus ex itself uh, human revolution um uh, does have a you know virtually a bunch of buttons at the end to press that trigger the different endings it's a bigger cutscene and button, yeah and that that's not too judgy but it's so arbitrary it's just like well <laughs> it's it's so last minute it's just at the last minute you can completely change everything i guess you could uh call like mass effect 2 third act the bad ending depending on how you do it like it yeah will, it will not pull mm. punches if you i like that played that badly and you get to finish the game or you get to finish that chunk of story but in a very different way to um, how you might do it yeah it's a good point yeah and you get example. to really decide who you care about and um and also you know ties into how much you've invested in those characters ahead of time well post extended cut mass effect 3 actually has a bunch of interesting hidden stuff in the ending both on the kind of extreme success side but also on the extreme failure side where they kind of expanded the endings out in all directions so if you're <clears throat> if you're like you know, war score is low enough, really bad stuff happens to people, basically, like, on the way in. Mm. But also, there is the fourth ending, um, which I think they just added as a sort of little kind of like, well, fuck you then, to people who sort of... Because I think, you know, Mass Effect 3 maybe suffers a bit for having ending room 
syndrome where you make a choice between three things that mm, are represented yeah. in front of you. However, I think it's better presented than Deus Ex because it's not literally three buttons. <laughs> it's it's three things that you can that are very different to each other, but you can conveniently do in the same location. So it's the thing you must shoot, the thing you must grab, and the thing you must fall into to achieve very three different, <laughs> very different effects. But they're all next to each other, so you know it feels a little bit artificial. But there is a fourth thing in that uh, environment, which is if you do nothing mm. for a time limit until a time limit expires, you get the Shepherd made no decision ending which um, is great that it's in there. Like, it wasn't in there until the extended cut, but they left that in there for people who were like, um, I hate all of these options and I refuse <laughs> to pick one. And I don't really I don't really agree with that attitude because the idea is your character has found themselves in this position and you have to pick one. So you would, you know what I mean? It doesn't mean you don't like the choices and you still have to pick one. Um, but in that ending, it just, you know, Reapers win. Like you get cut to a new beacon a bit like the protein beacon from the start of mass effect one being found like fifty thousand years later only it's liara saying like we didn't find a solution because right. for some reason shepherd just stood there <laughs> i was like i disagree with the premise of this entire bit <laughs> i don't like the ghost baby and i'm not making a decision <laughs> like um i don't know why that's what Indecisive Shepherd sounds like. That's kind of <laughs> no, but Yeah, that is all of the questions and grudges we have time for. If you'd like to send us a question, a grudge, a statement, indeed, to the podcast, you can do so by emailing us at questions at creightoncrowbar.com. You can also tweet us at creightoncrowbar or head over to our YouTube channel to watch videos of stuff like Bloodborne or the podcast, but with a picture <laughs> at youtube.com forward slash great and crowbar, great and crowbar bits and pieces and podcasts and videos and things are all supported by our Patreon, which you can find out more about at patreon.com forward slash great and crowbar as ever your iTunes reviews and likes and subscribes and clicks and pokes and thumbs ups and fabs and hearts and dreams are all appreciated. <laughs> by me Chris <laughs> if you'd like to follow any of us uh, on the internet you can do that on Twitter why not I'm on Twitter at C Thurston that's C-T-H-U-R-S-T-E-N Tom is uh, at Pentadact P-E-N-T-A-D-A-C-T and John is at John R-J-O-H-N underscore A-double-R thanks, thanks for listening everybody, everybody.